What is going on everyone? This is Miles Dompierre and welcome to the 105th episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today I am stoked to be joined by a longtime friend of the show and the man who has absolutely crushed the guest record on Xbox Chatterdays. You know him, you love him, Samuel Tolbert. How are you doing on this beautiful, blessed Saturday? Well, it's gray and muggy outside where I'm at, Miles, in South Carolina, so I love it. Like, that's my kind of weather. It's gloomy, it's moody, it's yeah. making pe other people irritable. I absolutely love it. Kind of like Twitter right now, if you think about it. Yeah, you know, that's I, I'm in Washington, so every day I wake up, and usually it's, it's gray outside, there's a cloud mm -hmm. overhead, and then I immediately jump on my phone, get on Twitter.com, and it just, it sets the tone for the day in, a, in an yeah. awful way every single day. And that's been the energy of the last few weeks. So I'm excited to have you on because we have a lot to talk about. I want to have some good energy. I love our conversations. And that's why I reached out to you this week because it has been a really fascinating week in the Xbox camp. We had a refreshing interview from Phil Spencer on the Kind of Funny X cast about consoles, the future of Xbox, where Xbox stands versus PlayStation and Nintendo, the launch of Redfall, the negative reception from critics, from fans, the question marks about titles like Bethesda and the, the future of the platform. So there is a whole bunch to unpack there. So we're going to be diving into all of that. We're going to be talking about Ravenlock. I want to share my quick reviews on that indie gem that dropped up dropped on Xbox Game Pass. I want to talk about Xbox Series and X and S storage finally getting a price cut. I want to talk about handhelds. Yes, the Xbox handheld and whether or not that's going to happen. We might have a substitute coming out very soon that will fill that void. Give give the uh, handheld heathens something on the Xbox side. But before we get into all of that, I know you've been on this show many a time, but maybe for the folks tuning in for the first time or who don't know who you are, give us a quick quick breakdown of who Samuel Tolbert is and where folks can find you. Yeah, I've been down here uh, quite a few times, obviously, like you said, crush the guest record. Hey, I, I don't know what to tell folks. He keeps saying, yeah, like, hey, do you want to come on? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll come on. Like, it's just that simple. I never ask. He just, he just <laughs> hits me up at like 3 a.m. The worst possible hours, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Samuel Talbert. I'm a freelance games journalist. I started working professionally around the same time Miles did at Windows Central. We both started in July 2019. We were literally filling out our paperwork together. It was great times. We've kind of been buds ever since. Um, you know, through, through the fire and the flames, we've been forged together through the good times, the not so great times. <laughs> we've always had each other's back. And yeah, right now you can find my work professionally on Windows Central and Inverse. That's the two places where I can be seen. And as long as the site remains functioning, you can find me over on Twitter, where, there, where I'm either talking about games I'm playing for work, games I'm playing for fun, books I'm reading for fun, or recently Warhammer figures. I, I've been getting into painting those recently. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I've yes, I've seen your handiwork on Twitter. Your, your figurines, your painting. Um, my brother is really into Warhammer, and at one okay. point in time, he had just this epic handcrafted battlefield with a mountainscape and a castle and all this nice, paper. Nice. Uh, paper mache that he sculpted into a mountain range and it was really epic and it was really cool and then he told me what goes into playing the game and i said that's a no for me dog i respect you i respect the hell out of you i'm glad you're having fun with your friends but i will never be playing this in my life that's completely fair that that's completely fair it's I, i'm not there yet i only have about I think uh two dozen figures something like that painted so far but you know who knows 
We'll check in next time, uh, this time next year, rather. Exactly. Some quick housekeeping before we get into the show today, before we get into everything we need to get into. If you haven't, Xbox Chatterdays has a rad little Discord that you should consider joining. A lot of great people in there, a lot of fun conversations. Obviously, this is an Xbox-centric show, but we encourage players from all platforms to come in and join the conversation. And that's what this show is about. Even though it is platform centric, we talk about the state of the games industry and just the video games that we love. So there's a dedicated Nintendo channel, a dedicated PlayStation channel, a dedicated PC channel as well. So if you're curious, there's a link in the description for both the audio and the video version. Some member shout outs before we uh, get rocking. Got to give a huge shout out to all the folks who are supporting the show in this way. Obviously, Throwing money down is optional, but it means a lot. It's huge. It does a lot for the show and what I can do on this little channel. So I want to give a special shout out to everyone who supports via a channel membership. In the supporter tier, we have Sinful Sadie TTV. We have Goldshell WPR, Christopher Davis, Buddy McClure, Rachel, Derek Griffin Jones, V Simcoe, Anthony, and last but certainly not least, my mom. Uh, in the loyalist here, we have John Grisula, Patrick, and Nick W., who I see in the chat right now. Shout out to Nick. And in the producer tier, we have Matt Valdez, Yodani Quazada, Hargi Chani, and Mr. Joanna Dark. Another thing I'm pretty bad about when it comes to this show and this channel is tooting my own horn. You know, I know it's we're, I'm supposed to tell you to smash the like button, supposed to tell you to subscribe to the channel, share it with everyone, your aunt, your uncle, everyone. I'm not the best about doing that. So if you are new to the show, if you are digging the show, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. I'm going to try to set some goals for myself moving forward. So I would like to hit 2000 subs by the end of May. So if you want to help me hit that goal, hit the subscribe button and Gotta talk about some drip, y'all. Some of you have seen it, some of you haven't. Xbox Chatterdays has a merch store. I know this is the shameless plug portion of the show, but hear me out, all right? I did, I did some of these designs myself. I'm excited about the Xbox Chatterdays death metal shirt. I got a shirt and a hat on order. I'm excited to rep that in the streets, but if you haven't seen that, check that out. If you are listening via the audio versions, there's a link in the description as well where you can see these designs for yourself, but a lot of great stuff there. Even have a little Dark Souls inspired one. Miles giving Solaire a piggyback ride. Come on, check it out. And a huge shout out to everyone who's been sending pics of their merch that has arrived. Okay, with that out of the way, with the shameless plugs out of the way, let's get into it. Let's get in because like we said, it's it's been a week. We got a lot to touch on. The first thing mm. I want to start with is the games that we're loving right now. And this has been a big initiative for me recently with all of the negativity and, and pessimism online and the, the noise that's online. Despite what the news beat of the week is, I want to start with the games we're loving right now. So Sam, what have you been playing and what have you been loving right now in the video game space? Yeah, so right now I am playing and loving Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Uh, and to give you an idea of just how much I am playing and loving it, I played it a couple of weeks ago when I reviewed it. My review is up over on Windows Central. I'm not going to retread that here, but please go read. I'm, I'm really proud of it. Uh, and then I'm playing it over again because I just liked it so much. It is, and that doesn't happen often. That, that doesn't happen a lot for, you know, the games that are 20, 30 hours. Like, it's not ridiculous. It's not some huge, massive open world, but it's it's a decent sized game. But I am absolutely loving it. Um, my sympathies to anyone who is dealing with technical issues. I understand that this, the, the bug situation has been weird. It seems like it's been very hit or miss for like some people hit really hard and then other people just 
perfectly fine. I'm in the latter camp. I have not had any bugs. So, you know, that is what it is. But if you are having, you know, a good experience with it, technologically speaking, what Respawn has crafted is incredible. Uh, the level design, the way they've improved it over Fallen Order, all the different accessibility things they've added in, the way how personal the story is, and how Cameron and all the other performance actors really get to shine in this. It, it really is something special. So I hope they're able to get more patches out and fix it up for people who are having, like, bugs and crashes and that sort of thing. I've seen so many people raving about Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and that's exciting. It's it, People love Star Wars. There's a lot of brand recognition there, but there's nothing better when you can take that established universe, that brand recognition, and deliver something new and compelling that, that caters to what fans really want. And the original Star Wars Jedi was a testament to the idea that we can have big budget triple-A, single-player Star Wars games that deliver a narrative outside of the uh, cinematic universe. So mm. it's it's awesome to see folks really connecting with that. I'm really curious to see how they're going to move Cal forward, and I really have a feeling we're going to see Cal in live-action form, whether it's via a show or a movie as well, because it seems like they're really trying to establish Cal as a, a character that exists in the Star Wars universe mm. permanently. And we know it's an actual actor that plays Cal in this. So there's a lot of potential for multimedia stuff when it comes to Cal and the Star Wars Jedi brand. So stoked to hear you loving it. I've had a lot of people tell me very similar sentiments. Um, I finished Dead Island 2, finally. I was playing it. I've talked about it on the show. I've been loving it. It's kind of the underdog hit of the year, I feel like, because myself and many others looked at Dead Island 2, looked at the saga leading up to launch, and said... At best, it's going to be a playable video game. <laughs> At best, it's going to be uh, a serviceable sequel to an Xbox 360 game. And in some ways, it is that. It, it feels very much like the original in terms of the loot system, in terms of progression. But man, they really delivered something incredible when it comes to the world and the gore engine. So I've, I've talked about it previously, but the gore engine is the best we've seen in a video game. It is amazing. I want them to use that tech, share that tech with the world and really push that forward. But I wrapped it up last night and I can say that if you're looking for a, sol a, a solid co-op game with some friends, Dead Island 2 is it. It's 20-ish uh, hours, I would say, for the campaign. Uh, mm -hmm. Finished it with a couple buddies and despite the fact that some of the missions get a little repetitive, most of the mission structure is, hey, this thing doesn't have power. Go get this thing and give it power. And then, oh no, you plugged it in. Now there's a horde mode. Uh-oh, fight all these zombies while it turns on. And so it's, it's kind of basic in that sense. But that being said, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is so tight, so rewarding, and so fun. The dropkick, Sam. The dropkick is one of the greatest mechanics in a video game. It has net... It, I've spent 30 hours with the game and it has not gotten old. Every single time that I sprint, full sprint, and just drop kick one zombie or even a pile of zombies, smile on my face. 100% of the time, without fail. If I find myself getting kind of bored with the campaign narrative, drop kick. I'm back in, baby. Let's go. <laughs> so shout out to Dead Island 2. Shout out to Dam Busters for really delivering on Dead Island 2. That has been one of my favorite games of the year so far, and it's absolutely shocking that dead island 2 given the saga leading up to launch is yeah. one of the best looking and most polished games of 2023 that thing came out of the gate strong y'all looks good plays well hardly any bugs shout out to damn busters for delivering the goods with dead island 2
from my conversation with uh, one of the directors, the design director of the game pre-launch, because I played a preview build, I have not gotten to play the full game yet. But I have, like, like in preview, unfinished state, I played, like, the first five hours or so, and I really liked what I played. I enjoyed it. But when I was talking to the design director, I remember he said that when Dam Buster got the project in 2019, they made a call of, like, okay, no scope creep. We are keeping this thing tight. We are keeping it focused. We are going to deliver the gore. 20-hour campaign at max. Keep it tight and focused. And I really think that helped. I really, really think that keeping everything constrained and also just the fact that I don't think anyone knew what to expect after all <laughs> this time with Dead Island. Like, if, if, I'll be honest here, y'all. I think this time last year, a lot of us were in the camp that Dead Island 2 was just vaporware. It would never come out. It, yeah, there just, was, it, that it, was it, a running was, theory that it would just it, never exist. I mean, it, it had been how many years? It was first announced in 2014. It had changed hands through multiple developers. So yeah, uh, con congratulations to the team at Dan Buster for what they were able to pull off, especially given the saga that was going it, on. Yes, it's, it's nice that at the end of this decade-long saga that we got an excellent game, a game that's better than the, or the original in every single way and really delivers something, like you said, really tight and contained. And we're going to talk about the potential problems with scope creep and the, and the problems with every single game trying to be the only game you play or the biggest game ever um, mm -hmm. very soon. There's a specific example that we've all talked about and discussed this week that we're going to dive into. But first, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone joining us live on youtube.com slash Miles Dompierre. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, share it out, all of that great stuff. We have a lot to dive into today. And I want to get to a super chat from... Nick W, who says, what games are you currently playing? And should we get rid of review scores? Okay, two very different questions. We talked about the games we're playing. Should we get rid of review scores, Samuel Tolbert? It, yes, in an ideal world, we should. Yes. It, I'm like, sorry, I, you have to I read. Have to, you have to I read. Have to, I have to put a review score on every review I write. I wish I didn't. I, I absolutely wish I didn't. Because I know... At the end of the day, and this is no shade to anyone who does this, but maybe you should feel a little bad. At the end of the day, <laughs> I know it's going to be used for, well, it's going to be used for fodder. That's what it is. And if it's an exclusive game on Xbox or PlayStation, it's going to be taken to the next level. But usually it's just used in some roundup. No one's ever actually going to read the review. Uh, this is an open secret. This is not some, ooh, hush, hush, don't talk about that. Reviews don't get a lot of traffic, y'all. No. Reviews do not get traffic. Miles can attest that. Like there are very rare, very specific situations, but usually people just don't actually read the review. And I think if there wasn't a review score, if people actually had to read what was going on there and they couldn't just boil it down to a number that they can stick on a graph. Yeah, I, I prefer that. I absolutely prefer that. Yeah, the number situation is interesting because on one hand, we look at product reviews and that's where people want to know like is this worth my money but mm -hmm. then we're at this conflict where i feel like a, boiling a video game down to just a product is a huge disservice to the experience because myself and i think a lot of people agree that video games movies music those those are art despite the fact that they are being sold for money they there's an artistic component that gets squandered when we boil it down to a single number and that's the problem with review scores in general is that some people eliminate the context or ignore the context look at the number and say this game is amazing or this game is bad and that's it there's no in between we live in this very hyperbolic state where everyone wants the best and it comes from our fixation with yelp going online when you look for a headset online what do you type in in google 
the best best Xbox headset, best this, best that. And so there's this fixation that everything that we spend money on, everything that we spend time on in our day-to-day -day lives has to be the absolute best. So the things of value in a review get downplayed if there's a seven on it or a six on it because people don't care. Yeah. People don't care about what's good there because the game is not getting a nine. And that really is a disservice to everyone who put years of their life in making the game. Folks like us who have to absolutely grind this out and put in all this time and effort and articulate our words in a very specific way and try to, you know, convey what this game is in 1500 to 2000 words. And then people just look at the number. So yeah, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have review scores, but um, in terms of sexy marketing, in terms of convenience for the average person, yep. I understand the reason we have numbers because you know it, it is a convenient way to uh, quickly get a glance of how people are feeling about a game, but there's always more. There's always a, a bigger conversation that should be had, and that's why you know I get so frustrated with the fixation on Metacritic averages. Thank you, Nick, for that big question. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about Xbox Series X and S storage. Sam, it's been a, I guess, a controversial decision for Xbox to release a proprietary storage solution for the Xbox Series X and S. It was met with excitement and skepticism at launch. A lot of people looked at that and said, well, these are going to be way more expensive than they need to be, and we're not going to have a lot of options for upgrading our storage. But then on the flip side, they were talking about the Xbox Velocity architecture, all of these proprietary system level features that would be benefited from having a proprietary solution. And that's exciting because you think about the tech of video games and what that could mean for the future of video games. And now that we're a couple of years in, a lot of people aren't using that those features. And we haven't had anyone else really step up to the plate and deliver other options for Xbox storage. So we've pretty much had the Seagate storage expansion in 512, one terabyte, and two terabytes. I paid $220 for one terabyte of storage. Call me an idiot if you want. I probably deserve it. You're an idiot. I needed the space, all right? I needed all, I need to look at all, every single Resident Evil installed on my hard drive at the same time, despite the fact that I'm not gonna play more than one at a time. I wanna see them all. I wanna see all the little squares. I wanna say, oh yeah, I could play this Resident Evil. I'm not going to, but I could. So I bought the one terabyte, so now I have two terabytes on there. That being said, we've been years into this saga and there haven't been options and the price is extremely high. There've been one-off sales here and there, but now we've, we've gotten a, a permanent discount at least on the Seagate storage solutions. So if you've been holding out, you've been waiting, it's taken a 30-ish percent cut here. And so here are the new prices for the Seagate expansion card. The 512 gigabyte is $89. The one terabyte is 150 and the two terabyte, this number's staggering, 279, almost three, almost the price of a Series S for two terabytes Ooh. of storage. Sam, first, how are you feeling about these updated price points? Does this move the needle enough? Should fans be excited or should we still be questioning the fact that nobody else has stepped up and delivered other options? I mean, I now have a two terabyte on my Series X, so <laughs> I think you, that kind of answers. You spent I, I, the... I had you. 
I had to. I, I had to. I was tired. I was sick and tired <laughs> of uninstalling things for work because I have so many big there. And then there's the big service games and how much space they take up. I was just like, this is going, I'm never going to financially recover from this. I'm gritting my teeth. I had to save, but like, yeah, I, I got to do this. I, I have to, I have no other option. And I think a lot of people are probably going to be in a similar situation there. Uh, these updated prices are better. They're still not great. They're still not incredible, but this is definitely like, hey, if, you, if you've been holding out for a long time, if you've been doing the uninstall shuffle, this is the time to strike. Like this is, especially I think the 512 and the one terabyte. I think those are pretty reasonable for someone to try and get. Um, I hope we see more competition. This is a good step. This is a big step. It's still not all the way. You can still get, I think, a, you know, a one terabyte, you know, for like your PS5. That's, I would say, what, $30, $40 cheaper on average than the one terabyte. Uh, yeah. the Xbox. It varies. Yeah. It varies a little bit, but that's the benefit of competition. That is the that's the other side, you know, the yin yang. You do have to install it yourself and be careful not to strip that screw because that screw is made out of the softest metal on it. So. I know, I know. I, I, I look, I've, I've unscrewed it once just to test it. And I was like, oh no, I'm dude, so afraid dude, I'm gonna break it. I, I, I unscrewed the daintiest it once. little screwdriver. Eh. I changed that one time and I'm like, this is never happening again. Like, I, I know I'm going to strip it if I do this again. Uh, so you know. Pros and cons, uh, yin and yang, like that's how this thing works. I hope we see more competition to drive the price further down. That would be great. We saw the um, Best Buy, the leaked WD Black listings, like that was uh, there. And then obviously at Windows Central, we reported we have sources that like this is a thing that's supposed to launch later this year that is supposed yeah. to be happening. Hopefully that's good because if that's the case, well, now WD Black and Seagate both want you to buy theirs. Maybe one of them will cut the price a little more. Like just, you know, $5 here, $10 here. Try to sway you, try to tempt yeah, exactly. you. Exactly. That's, that's capitalism, baby. So hopefully that's what we see happen. And then things will be in even more of a reasonable state and sort of equalize across the board. Exactly. The more options we have, the more prices will come down. When Seagate is the only option, they can set the price to whatever they want it to be. It's not, it's an officially licensed product through Xbox, but it's not being sold by Microsoft. It's being sold by a partner. So they've set the price and nobody else has been able to come in and change that price on the Xbox side. So people have had to either not buy an expansion or just eat the price. And so if Western Digital and other players get in there and say, all right, here's something that's literally just as good for 50 bucks less that's going to force seagate to come down and then somebody else can enter the space like you said with an even more compelling option or a larger size that's the same price as your two terabyte here's a four terabyte for the price of this two terabyte and really mm -hmm. push that forward and when that happens that'll benefit everyone on the xbox ecosystem but again it's interesting to see a few years in how this whole storage expansion card solution is played out on the one hand it is very convenient you plug it in boom Oh, original PS1, PS2 memory card days, baby. Takes me back to the glory days of game where you just slide that in and you're set. That's it. Easy breezy. Where again, it's not that hard to install an SSD on a PS5 and you could watch a quick YouTube tutorial and figure it out in a matter of minutes. So it's not something that is impossible. But there's probably a percentage of people who don't care enough to do it. There's probably a bunch of people who have the PS5 and say, I'm just going to uninstall and reinstall stuff because I don't want to crack this thing open and put it in SSD. I don't want to go online and do the research for which ones are compatible with the PS5. And again, it's not that demanding, but there is, an, a, especially in the console space, the console market, it's driven by convenience. It's driven by ease of access. And so mm -hmm. that's the, the benefit. I remember the PS Vita got lit up for its proprietary storage solution, which was expensive. 
so yeah, expensive. You, you want to talk about expensive, dude? Those things were like so they were selling gold chips, platinum chips with those things. Jeez. Oh man, that was a status symbol. You oh, you got a sixty-four megabyte? Oh damn! Oh damn, dude! No, uh, it wasn't quite that extreme, but. I'm happy to see there are more options. So again, if you have been holding out, you can Google Seagate storage prices and, and get an update for what's available there. The next thing I want to talk about really briefly is a game that hit Xbox Game Pass this week that's been in Xbox showcases that's gotten a lot of marketing attention from Xbox, and that is Ravenlock from developer Coco Cucumber, who did Echo Generation, and which was another big kind of higher profile Xbox Game Pass release. Voxel art style inspired by Stranger Things. Ravenlock is a... My elevator pitch for Ravenlock is, is Link's Awakening meets Alice in Wonderland. So it takes the whimsy and wonder of a, a girl who gets sucked into a very Alice in Wonderland inspired world with a quest progression system very similar to a traditional Zelda game. You have all of these quirky characters in the world. They need an object for whatever they're selling or whatever they're trying to do. You find that object in the world. You bring that to them and that pushes the narrative along. And then every so often you have a big boss fight. So I want to talk briefly about Ravenlock. But before I share my thoughts, because I got to play this ahead of launch. I got to play through the game. Have you checked out Ravenlock at all? Have you given this a try? I have looked at the trailers. I was looking at some of the reviews. It looks really interesting, so I want to give it a shot. I haven't had time to play it yet, though, with how busy work has been. Yeah, there's been a lot. If you haven't played it, I understand. It's been so hard to keep up with video games. Um, there's been a lot to play. So I got to play Ravenlock a few weeks ago, and I'll just give a quick review here. Okay. It's about five-ish hours long. I was able to do almost everything in the game, 100% the game, in about five hours. For some people, that's going to be a problem, but for me, it was very refreshing. It was a really nice palette cleanser game between some big open world RPGs. We have Tears of the Kingdom coming up. Redfall is out now. There's a lot of big games that demand a lot of time, and Ravenlock was a refreshing little, little romp, if you will. Boss fights are really inspired by, by Dark Souls. Not in terms of difficulty, they're not overly difficult, but they have big cinematic moments and big ugly transformations of established characters or figures from Alice in Wonderland's universe that are monstified in the way that From Software is famous for. The art style is absolutely stunning. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous game. They've elevated their voxel art style, and so it's a combination of what you saw with Echo Generation, but with more 3D models. And there's beautiful, stunning vistas of all of the locations. So my favorite thing about playing Ravenlock was just exploring the world, getting to a new location, seeing the new enemies, seeing the new environments, and just soaking it in. Every single time, you, there was just so much detail to look at when you were scanning the environments. And you would see a new weird skull goat shaman demon enemy. And you're like, wow, okay, what is this? I want to I know about this world. I want to know about this lore in the way that you know, Dark Souls plays out very much. So. That being said, the combat's super basic. If you've played a traditional Zelda game, this probably won't be a problem for you because it, you swing your sword. Shink, 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 shink. That's, that's it. That's the state of combat. There are some special abilities. You can shoot fire. You can throw bombs. But the combat, for the most part, doesn't really evolve that much over time. The boss fights are easy. The overall gameplay loop is very easy. So it is a very chill experience. And if you are looking for just a nice, easy palette cleansing game between between bigger games ravenlock is a it's a solid five hours it's i really enjoyed my time with it it didn't change my life fundamentally but it is 
one of the best looking games so far this year in terms of raw visual style. And Coco Cucumber has really established themselves as an independent developer that with a specific sense of style. So if you haven't checked out Ravenlock, it's on Game Pass. It's worth giving a try and you can beat it very, very quickly. You can beat it this weekend in two sessions easy. And that's my quick and dirty review of Ravenlock. Nice. Sounds interesting. It is. I highly recommend it. Again, it's not going to set the world on fire. It's not going to be for everyone. I know it didn't review all that well. And like mm -hmm. I said, if you're a fan of classic Zelda games, especially Link's Awakening, I think you'll connect with it more than a lot of people did. And that's where I'm coming from, because there are moments and characters where you you immediately get taken back to that first time playing Link's Awakening and trying to figure out, oh, this mice, this little mouse chef needs an ingredient for his recipe. I'm going to go sc scan these environments and try to find it. And then you find the, the cupcake or the cheese or whatever it is, and you bring it to him, and it just progresses that little quest line. So the trading quest line from Link's Awakening is very much here. Let's talk about Xbox handhelds, Sam. So a lot of people in the community, myself included, have looked at the, the renaissance we're having when it comes to handheld gaming. The Switch mm -hmm. kicked it off in a lot of ways. Nintendo came out of the gate with a hybrid console that people loved. It's, it's gained a lot of traction. It's gained a lot of attention. And that's made other players say, all right, we need, we need an answer to this. We need something in the space that competes with the Switch. We've had the Steam Deck come out, and now we have another brand. Republic of Gamers is dropping their Ally, which seems to be a Windows 11-based handheld gaming device. And so as you know, Steam Deck uses Linux, so it limits what you can do. You can install Windows on it. There are options to modify and change the components, but out of the gate, the ROG Ally is going to have Windows 11, which is gonna mean you can install Steam, you can play your Steam library, you can install games via Xbox Game Pass natively. So there's a lot of compelling features here. 1080p display, 120 hertz refresh rate. This thing is supposed to be very powerful, more powerful than the Steam Deck. When these specs first got listed and I saw all of these details, my first thought was, how expensive is this going to be? All right, this mm -hmm. sounds incredibly expensive. Powerful handheld devices, while they are compelling, they're usually a balance of you know moderate power with price because at a certain point, once this thing gets up to $1,000, you are eliminating a huge percentage of people who would ever consider buying one. So we've gotten some leaked information. There's a showcase on May 11th that's designed to give us all of the details regarding the, the ROG Ally, but indications suggest that the 512 gigabyte model will be $699. So Sam, based on that, based on the specs, based on that price point, how are you feeling about this device? I am interested. The specs look appealing, dude. The, when I first saw those specs, like my eyes popped out of my skull. I was like, excuse me? This, is, this isn't competing hertz. with the Steam Deck. This is blowing the Steam Deck out of the water. This yes. is just, this is a turkey shoot. Uh, however, that price also made my eyes pop out of my oh, skull <laughs> because it's like excuse me seven hundred dollars i mean it, it it makes sense it does like the specs like, the quality the construction the screen like i get it i see it i understand windows licensing as well even though that's probably cheap they probably got a good deal fact is 
I, I can't swing $700. Not, not at launch. I just, I just can't do it. That's, that's too much of an ask. Not for how I play games, not with how most of my PC gaming is done, you know, with strategy games, which I can't play. Like that's the biggest problem I have is so much of my steam library is strategy games. And that eliminates the steam deck for me. That eliminates something like the rogue ally for me. Um, it would be cool. Don't get me wrong. Would it be cool to like take Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5 and all that other stuff like and just play it lying back on the couch, you know, like this? Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great. It wouldn't be $700 cool. N not for me. Um, yes. I, I, but I'm very curious how it does because I want to see how it disrupts this new quasi market kind of that has developed now with the Steam Deck. I am very curious about how this thing performs. This This new market is forcing microsoft to make a streamlined version of windows for mobile that is the long-running rumor right now is that there's going to be a mm -hmm. windows 11 refresh that is mobile focused so it's less demanding it's more optimized for these handheld chips and it's going to make the operating system more efficient for these devices and when it comes to a, a handheld device that is limited on resources you need efficiency so 700 bucks, as you stated, that is still a lot. That is $200 more than an Xbox Series X, which is designed to be a premium gaming console. So this still isn't going to be for everyone. But that being said, that price point is much lower than I was expecting because I've seen similar spec devices for mm -hmm. $1,000, $1,100. So the fact that this is only a couple hundred dollars more than the Steam Deck is going to make it compelling for people who looked at the Steam Deck as an exciting offering. You can get a lot more power, a lot more refresh rate, but let's be real, 120 hertz refresh rate will destroy the battery like you wouldn't believe. I know they're, they're it's saying- It's gonna be set to 60. People are gonna wanna set that thing to 60 immediately. Like, I can tell you on the Steam Deck, the, the the difference between 30 and 60 hertz in terms of refresh rate is, is like 60, 70% in terms of how much more battery life you get. Mm -hmm. uh, when you play 60 hertz for, on Steam Deck with some games, you're looking at an hour and a half. So 120 hertz, oh man, that thing, they're saying, Eight-ish hours. They all say eight-ish hours. That that's not the reality. If you play a game at 120 hertz at 1080p onto a handheld device, that thing is getting sapped. So it's a cool option. And if there's a, a great docking solution, I think that's really where it's going to stand out. Where you can just take this to a friend's house, you can take this somewhere, and you can dock it. Boom, 1080p, 120 hertz, and that's that's going to be compelling. So I look at this price point, I look at the specs, I look at the fact that while the Steam Deck is great, you have to jump through some extra hoops to get Windows, which means it's not really an answer for fans who want an Xbox handheld. The Steam Deck for me, while I love it, it's not the Xbox handheld that I want. It's 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 not. Until there's mm -hmm. some sort of native offering there, whether it be Xbox Game Pass natively via via the Steam app, it's not a native offering. But this this presents a native offering for Windows devices and the Xbox Game Pass app, which means everything via Xbox Game Pass is ready to go out the gate. Right, so, right. At Don't have to worry about that compatibility stuff that you, has been an issue with some, not many, but some Steam games. Exactly. Steam deck. So this is going to be an, an excellent option for folks who want that Xbox handheld. And because of that, we're seeing this device on Phil Spencer's shelf in his latest interview. We're seeing Microsoft being involved with the May 11th showing for the Republic of Gamers ally to really get behind this thing because they're looking at it and they don't have to design the hardware. They don't have to ship the hardware. They can just lean into this and say, hey, 
You want to play Xbox games on a handheld? Here you go. This mm. device is it. We've seen them do that with similar offerings, the Logitech G Cloud, which wasn't a native device. And it still makes me feel like I would like to see a, 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 a proprietary Xbox handheld. But do you think that a partnership on this level will actually move the needle for Xbox in any meaningful way? Or will this just be like a nice little marketing beat, a nice little offering that Xbox can tout as a, as a handheld companion. But do you think it has any sort of legitimate benefit to the Xbox brand? I think it has benefit. I, I, I would ask you to define moving the needle. That would be the issue for me is like, what do we mean by moving the needle? Is it like, this is a cool thing that some Xbox users are going to use that some people who were never in the Xbox ecosystem are going to pick up and use to play their games and like, oh, hey, maybe they get some more players on a few of those games. Yes, absolutely. I think that will definitely be the case. I think it's going to be great to see that competition between this and the Steam Deck. And it's also just going to be a lot easier to play specifically Xbox games. Like you said, you can just get the Xbox app. Or, you know, with the Steam Deck, I know there are certain games with online infrastructure that have issues, like Halo Infinite is one. If you try to play Halo Infinite on the Steam Deck, like, th th there's problems there. That's not going to be the case with uh, with this. Like, that's, that's going to, in theory, it should work perfectly fine. There shouldn't be any problems there. So I think it's going to help. I don't think this is going to just ignite a second wind and be, you know, this is the new hot way to play Xbox games and this is what everyone's doing now. Like, I don't think it's going to go that far. And I don't think that's what you were suggesting either, of course. Yeah, that's what that's what some people want when we look at the the Xbox handheld potential. There are certain markets that Xbox historically struggles in where a handheld device would be a great way to get market share and mind share. The, the ROG Ally is... It, is not going to be that. It's just for me. It's it isn't. It's not. It's a very niche product. It's a very niche offering. It's exciting. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's a real possibility I'm going to throw it on 700 bucks on this thing. Um. So don't get me wrong. I am. I am the target market for this. But with if you're Xbox and you're looking to grow that mind share and get you know more players invested in your ecosystem, this will be great. I don't know that it will necessarily do that much for xbox despite some of these partnerships because a lot of people who are invested in pc have a steam library so they're going to buy their games via steam they're going to be invested in the steam ecosystem more so than the xbox ecosystem which if xbox had a compelling handheld offering would be that that being said there's the technical problems xbox already has to have developers develop for the xbox series x and s so i think the last thing they want to do right now is say all right well now you need to develop for a third SKU. now you need to develop for our xbox handheld that is that, not going to make developers happy developers are that, not going to be stoked about that idea yeah i i keep seeing people bring up like but they have to make a pc version that's very different that's not the same thing it's it's not it's not like that that is fulfilled by the steam deck by the rog ally by any other competitors who come in and do that kind of thing uh miles you and i are completely in tandem on this the issue i have with the dedicated handheld is it would have to match the series s exactly like exactly, exactly. it would have to be the series s in portable form if that cannot be done don't do it two SKUs is already an ask from first party devs in addition to a pc build that has to be flexible throwing a third SKU in there that's ridiculous that there would be outrage and rightfully so yeah, it's a huge ask. So I agree. I think until we can get to the point where they can 
transition the Series S chipset or one that runs exactly in the same wave, the developers can eas easily, it still will require some level of work, but it needs to be such a minimal level of work that it is you know, a matter of days that they can transition that. If it gets to that point and we can have a Series S in handheld form, boom, that's it. You ship that. You get that out the door as soon as possible because that, with the Xbox logo on it, with the Xbox ecosystem, you get that out in as many markets as possible, and that has potential right now in this current market to do well, only if it's affordable. If this is a $500, $700 offering for Xbox, which... Based on the specs, it would probably be around there. 400 to 500, I think, is the best case scenario. That's still a big ask. But if you if you can get a 399 Series S handheld out the door for Xbox, that has potential. That has potential to, quote, move the needle for the Xbox brand and its investment mm -hmm. in certain markets. But I think we aren't there yet. I don't think right now Xbox and the tech is even there to transition the power of the series s to a handheld and have it be 400 bucks without taking a massive hit much as i want it as much as i want it as much as i've been whining and yelling about xbox not doing a handheld i think that's the hurdle right now is the chips aren't quite there but a couple maybe, years, who knows? Exactly. Maybe a couple of years down the road, that Series S gets even cheaper. That price point gets a little bit lower. And then the, the that hardware is, you could shrink it down into a little handheld. And mm, that's it. That's the play. But whether or not Xbox will do that is the big question mark. Folks like Jez Corden have speculated that, hey, you know, Xbox isn't going to bother with the native handheld because they are really pushing cloud gaming. We've seen them partner with Logitech seen them partner with Razer. They're really pushing cloud gaming. And try, again, their whole mantra right now is getting games out to as many people as possible, wherever they are. So cloud gaming is a big push and there's a potential for Xbox to maybe do a native cloud gaming device. I've been spending some time with a cloud gaming device called the Absolute. It's spelled A-B-X-Y-L-U-T-E. It is a Kickstarter project right now. And basically they are trying to have a budget offering in the cloud space, a companion device that's affordable, way more affordable than the Logitech G Cloud, which has dropped in price, which has had some discounts, but it came out of the gate at 350. And to me, 350 for a cloud only device, that's way too big of an ask. That's way, way too big of an ask. So these guys are trying to target about 200 bucks for an absolute, for, for their, their cloud only gaming handheld. 1080p display, you can run devices on it natively. There is, you know, 60 hertz refresh rate there. So I've been spending some time with it over the last month. They reached out to me about, you know, checking out their, this is a prototype model that I have. So I've been spending some time with it because cloud gaming to me is interesting. And I've dabbled with cloud gaming on my phone via streaming. But the problem I've always had with cloud gaming for the most part is I need to pick and choose what games I play. I don't, there are specific genres that I feel like I cannot play on cloud because of latency. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the tech get better and it's consistently getting better. When I first tried Sea of Thieves on cloud, that was a miserable experience, unplayable. I could not move the camera. I tried Sea of Thieves on cloud via this device very recently and it was a much better experience. We're not still one-to-one -one, and you can still feel some latency when you're playing but I was able to jump into sessions of Halo Infinite, into Sea of Thieves, and enjoy myself and have a good time. And so a device like this, much like the rumored PlayStation companion device, is exciting because what it can offer people who 
like me, want want the Xbox handheld. The Xbox handheld doesn't exist, but I still want to play something like Loop Hero, something like Shredder's Revenge on my couch, on the toilet, wherever I want to play, damn it. And I'm not going to bring my Series X into the bathroom and, and mount a 26-inch TV across from the toilet because one, what am I, some kind of sicko? And two, that's just not convenient, all right? It's not convenient. And that's the benefit of handheld gaming is the convenience. You can play anywhere you want and how you want. And that's why people champion the idea of an Xbox handheld. Sam, where are you at with the current state of, of cloud gaming? Do you think where it's at now is good enough? Or what do you want to see from the future of this tech? I mean, it, it, what I want to see is really simple, Miles. I just want to see it improve. I want to see improved you know, video quality options. I want to see improved frame rate options. I want to see improved streaming. I want to see improved latency. It's it's really, really simple. Um, I am sorry to poke a sore point. I am not the CMA. I do not believe that cloud gaming is the absolute future, that everything sh uh, should pivot around and every decision well, should pivot around. Well, you're a fraud and a shield. <laughs> But I do think it's interesting. I think it's important. Um, back, you know, pre uh, pre twenty twenty pre pandemic and all that, I actually played Gears of War. I uh, played Gears Five with my brothers while I was away for a business trip, and I, I just pulled out my phone, set it up, you know, on the little stand, played Gears of War. It worked great. It wasn't ideal, but like it worked. It was fun, it, and so I can see myself continuing to use it in those kinds of situations. It's never going to be the main way I play a game. It will never ever replace that that's and that's, that's how it is that's yeah that's the tough balance because like you said if you're used to that native experience you're familiar with how a game feels on a native piece of hardware you do notice the differences but the reason i think microsoft is investing and they've seen data that suggests this is that a lot of casual players as long as the experience is good enough that is enjoyable for them and if they don't mm -hmm. have a basis for comparison. If they haven't shelled out the $500 for a console, they just are playing it via their phone, playing it via a streaming device, however they're playing it, playing, playing it via their browser, that's good enough. And I think as we've seen with streaming video in general, there's a huge difference between that 4K Ultra HD disc. When you put that in and you have your, your dedicated player for it, your dedicated hardware, mm -hmm. you sit back and, oh yeah, take me away, just washed by the visuals, no artifacting crystal clear. You watch that same movie via Netflix or Amazon Prime, there's artifacting, lower resolution, lower picture quality. That being said, for most of us, myself included, that convenience is more powerful than the loss of fidelity that we're getting. Right. And I think as gaming gets bigger, that's kind of where Microsoft is trying to be is as long as that experience is is great and good enough, even though it's not as good as the native experience, they, they don't plan on getting rid of the native experience. This is just a compliment to that. I think there is potential for cloud to be an option. Again, the infrastructure in the US right now is not good enough in most places for this no, to be no, no. a mainstream success. It's still gonna, it's gonna be niche for several, several years until we have bigger players invest. And they should be. We should have more tech companies and more cable companies and more fiber companies going to the middle of the country and saying, let's get you internet. The fact that that hasn't happened already is, is staggering. And once that happens, then there is huge potential for cloud to be the way a lot of people engage with video games, especially once it becomes a native app on your TV. And more and more TVs just say, boom, you want to play a PlayStation game? You want to play an Xbox game? Boot this app up, you're good. Connect a controller, boom. Hell, I what was it Xbox? At one point in time, had the, the remote. You could sync your phone 
your console and use that as a controller. Like there's potential that you don't even need a controller. There, there's options there. So I think cloud has potential. Uh, this absolute gaming handheld has been a much more enjoyable experience than I was expecting as someone who is a big skeptic of the cloud experience, as someone who is a big console heathen, a big hardware purists. Purist, I've been burned in the past or unimpressed in the past, and I've been able to play most games fairly well. I'm still not going to use this as my main way to play Halo Infinite competitively. Um, there's still a, a difference that I can feel enough that I'm not, you know, playing at my peak. It, it hurt my, I played some rounds on this and while it was fun, yo, it hurt my KD, bro. My KD took a hit <laughs> and I can't, I can't have that. You know, I got a reputation uphold as a gamer TM. So yeah, I wanted to share my quick impressions on that. I'm going to do a deeper dive video on there, but things have been hectic as hell. Things have been crazy busy. So I wanted to take a minute to talk about this device and I want to give a quick shout out to everyone joining the chat. I see so many amazing familiar faces, Crytopsy, Synodex, Paris Lily in the chat, who's what, what is this? He's offering to buy me a ROG ally? Paris, you're a sweetheart. Aww. Thank you. I'm holding you to that. It's legally binding. Anyone watching right now sees that. They know that that's, that's legally binding. All right. Paris Lily must present me one rogue ally. Market value $699. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paris. You're a, you're a sweetheart. I love you. <laughs> okay. Sam, you ready? Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Let's Get do it. Seat. Stretch, stretch, stretch it out. <clears throat> okay, we got to talk about Redfall. And again, if you've been on social media this week, you've seen people talk about Redfall. You're probably sick of people talking about Redfall. So I'm going to try to approach this conversation in a way that's interesting and constructive, but also touches on the, the state of the game for people who maybe aren't in tune, haven't been on Twitter, all of that. If you are curious on my deeper thoughts, my overall impressions of Redfall, what it gets right, what it gets wrong, I put out a very lengthy video. It was about 40 minutes where I sat down and, and did exactly that. My impressions on Series X, what they got right, what they got wrong, and should you bother playing the game. So if you really want my 40-minute opinion on Redfall, watch that. I tried hard to add context and nuance to the conversation um, without just dunking on the game, which is what it's turned into this week. And before we get into this conversation, I do want to have a, a, a broader conversation with you, Sam, and the audience mm -hmm. and the people who come to this show, because I feel like we've curated an amazing community of people who are here for, for the conversations, who are here to have respectful conversations about the video games industry, who love video right. games, want to see it succeed, and don't really take some sort of sick glee and watching a game get destroyed online. And we can talk about the criticisms, but one thing that I want to preface this conversation with is I feel like we're not doing a good enough job with how we articulate our feedback to anyone when it comes to anything regarding video game discourse. It's perfectly fine to have harsh criticism. Harsh criticism is important. It helps developers. It helps teams. It helps the industry improve and grow. And it is valuable. It is incredibly yep. valuable. But how we go about presenting it online with this fixation on hyperbole and this is the worst game I've ever played. This is the biggest piece of garbage I've ever seen in my life. Like that, those become what the messaging of this game is. And as we talked about earlier with the review scores and that process, that reduces, that boils the entire conversation down into one word. And that's such a disservice to everyone, everyone involved, you, me, the developers, the publishers, everyone involved, when we boil it down to that, isn't getting 
the conversation that's deserved here. So I just want to say that before we talk about Redfall, because there's going to be some harsh criticism of Redfall that is very well deserved. But I just want to, you know, you know, preach, for lack of a better word, an idea that we should maybe reevaluate how we voice our criticism. Because, again, we've had Sadie Boyd, who is a, a developer yeah. for Arcane, yeah. come out this week on Twitter and say, like, I try not to engage with it. I try to be positive where I can, but I'm I'm a human being, you know, at a yeah. certain point, like it, it's it's hard to see colleagues and friends and people just dogpile and dunk on you and say that work that you did for four or five years is terrible. You shouldn't do it. You should feel bad about that work. And that's again, if you if you don't like a game, that is fine. But too often we we reduce the the human component of game development to nothing, and with yeah. this push into AI and with this push into brands versus people, that just that just grows. A disconnect grows. So there's more weight on brands, less importance on people, and that makes it so easy for someone to come online and say something really shitty about someone about a project with no remorse, no consideration whatsoever. And I think that is unfortunate. <laughs> how do you feel about the current state of cr critique and discourse sam am i alone there no i think i i don't really have anything to add to that i think we can give harsh criticism that's literally part of my job i have given some very harsh criticism in games i've reviewed or previewed mainly reviewed um you know and even just games that i've been disappointed with that i've played but it hasn't been for work it's just been a personal thing like i have given very harsh criticism but any kind of personal attacks like knock it off and i would also say it's somewhat unfortunately expected from the gamers but if you're a developer if you work for a gaming studio or a publisher engaging in that kind of thing the industry is very tight-knit and it's probably not going to be forgotten just 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 a warning there just a heads up yeah yeah so again if you watch that 40 minute video and we'll talk about some of my criticism here but I'm harsh. I'm harsh on Redfall. I'm very harsh mm -hmm. on Redfall, but I was also very, you know, intentional with how I messaged the feedback, how I positioned, you know, potential blame, potentially what went wrong, because we don't have all the answers and some people pretend like they do. And that's, again, a disservice to the entire conversation. So, Sam, Redfall has launched. Redfall launched earlier this week. It was the first $70 game from Microsoft. It was their first big AAA exclusive for current-gen platforms only. We had Hi-Fi Rush earlier. We had Flight Simulator, which releases a current-gen only game. But this was the first new AAA IP from Xbox this generation. So there was a lot of pressure and weight on this game. It was the one last thing at an Xbox showcase. It's had a long, lengthy marketing cycle. It's gotten a noteworthy delay. So there was a lot of anticipation and this is coming off the back of forza horizon 5 halo infinite and 2022 where 2022 for a lot of fans xbox didn't deliver on the game front in any meaningful way and a lot of people were really frustrated by the fact that you know halo's tail wasn't as strong as it should have been and that's compounded by the fact that microsoft had nothing interesting first party wise to offer in 2022 again oversimplify that a little bit but that is what big oversimplification but yes we're on that, the same that page. that is the skepticism that some people have voiced online about microsoft going into the release of redfall so 
the saga leading up to launch. There was the initial reveal trailer where people said, this looks like a Left 4 Dead clone. I don't get this. They immediately after that had to come out and say, it's not a Left 4 Dead clone. They had to shut that messaging down. And then right before launch, they had to come out and say, hey, that 60 FPS mode that we have on the box and we've had a list on the Xbox store, that's not coming at launch. Sorry, that's coming later. 30 FPS mode only on launch for our first $70 triple a game which people rightfully were upset about and that kind of again made people say oh man is this coming in hot is redfall coming in hot and then we didn't get review codes until thursday evening with an embargo on monday and then a lot of people were like this is definitely coming in hot this game is absolutely coming in hot and then we all got our hands on it uh, i remember booting up the game for my, my preview, and I played pretty much exclusively on Series X, so I didn't mm -hmm. play on PC. So my experience was based exclusively on the Series X build. I remember booting it up, having the initial cutscene, and then turning the camera and saying, wow, whoa, 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 this, what's going on? Everything about this feels wrong. What is, why does it feel like this? And then you go into the settings, you, you realize that there's an input response control that's set to default, and you can make it low or you can make it high. So for whatever reason, there's an option to make the input response worse. So if you go in and turn turn it to low, it instantly makes the, the aiming feel a lot better. And then there's three different motion blur options. The default motion blur option is high. I will say I'm I'm personally a fan of motion blur. I don't mind it. I, I like that it makes the, the movement of the camera more natural, but it, the high setting was way too high. It made everything look muddy. So I turned that down to low and then just turning those two features down instantly made the game feel better. But that being said, you get out to the world and, and things start popping up where you realize fundamentally, almost instantly that things aren't gelling in this experience, that this experience has some great ideas, but the overall execution isn't what it should be. So my initial impressions weren't hot. I reached out to people in the who I knew were reviewing and I said, am I off base here? Am I out of my mind? Like I was expecting to go into Redfall loving it. You've seen me tweet about Redfall. You've seen me say mm -hmm. that, you know, Redfall is one of my most anticipated games of the year. It's going to be mm -hmm. one of my most played games of the year. I love horror. I love co-op. Arcane is delivered in the past. And I had to reach out to people and say, am I losing my mind? Am I just completely out of touch? Or is this game really missing the mark? And a lot of people were echoing my concerns and criticisms and then reviews hit. And it wasn't just the small group of people I talked to. It was a huge number of people who were playing the game, reviewing the game. They had problems with Redfall, really, really big problems with Redfall. And it came out to very poor reviews. So I've talked about my thoughts a lot, and I don't want to dwell on that too much. But I know you've been playing a bit, Sam. So mm -hmm. where are you at with Redfall based on your time with the game? Okay, so I've played about seven hours so far. Uh, Jedi Survivor Guides and other busy work at Windows Central has kept me from like really fully diving in. But I've put about seven hours in so far. I do want to finish my playthrough, and I want to play it with some friends. I've been playing only by myself so far, and, and I do want to play some co-op. There are a lot of ideas I like in Redfall. There are. There, there's a lot of interesting little things. There's a lot of things here or there where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cooler. Oh, yeah, that's arcane. But as much as I am having fun from moment to moment at times, the overall experience is not what I would have wanted. 
the overall experience is not i would if this makes any sense dense in a way that i prefer arcane games to be prey dishonored even death death to a lesser extent granted uh, if you play those games you know they're very dense there's a lot of little things you can interact with in the environment there's a lot of environmental interactions there are things like that in redfall they do exist but they're very spread out. It's very thin. It's like, oh, a building, there's multiple ways into that building, but there might only be one interesting thing in that building. And it's like, if this were dishonored, like there would be a lot of different things. There would, I would have discovered some secret passage to another building. I would have discovered some secret code. I would have found something like that. Here, it's just, oh, it's this one note. That's it, just this one note that's in yeah. there. Um, or like, there's this really, I had this really cool moment actually where, uh, for a safe house, there's different safe houses, kind of Far Cry-esque, where, um, which I'm fine with. That's one of the ideas I like in the game. I, I'm okay with that. And, you know, there I had to get this key to start a generator. And I just, I saw the key jammed into a car, took it out, didn't even think about where I was, what I was doing. And it set off this alarm that summoned a bunch of vampires over. And I'm like, that's really cool. I like that. That's classic arcane. I should have taken more care to disable the alarm first. But then there's nothing else to it. There's just no other way of approaching that situation. It is that one thing. And I think like if there's if that's dishonored, if that's prey, even Deathloop, again, to a lesser extent, there would have been multiple ways of approaching that situation. It, arcane games to me, it's sometimes difficult to sum it up, but an arcane game to me is always, if you can think about doing this with the physics of the game, then you can do it. If you think you can pull this off, then you can do it. Um... So, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's been a disappointment. I've been a little lucky when it comes to bugs. I know a lot of other people have been having a lot of different bugs. I've seen the videos of, like, the AI just glitching out and stuff like that. It's it, Yeah, there's been, there's been some not great stuff. I've been luckier, but again, I've only played about seven hours. I'm having fun from here to there. I do want to play it with friends in co-op because I hear, I don't know if this is the case, that, like, in co-op, the characters have a lot more dialogue with each other. And the writing yeah. is great. Like, the writing is always great. I expect nothing less from Arcane. All the writing around the bosses and the, the notes and that kind of thing is good. So I do want to experience it in co-op. But I am disappointed, I would say. Yeah, there's a lot that is great. Um, as much as I have a lot of criticisms regarding Redfall, it is important to talk about what the game gets right. And overall, I love the aesthetic. Some of the, the sure, visuals sure. are outstanding. When you see the wave wall that the vampires have used, psychic yes, projections yes. to basically lift the ocean as this wall that keeps you locked. Those visuals are impressive. The overall color palette, I think, is incredible. When you see the orange and brown, you get the, the autumn feels. Like This would have been a perfect Halloween game because of, of, of that and the, the fall atmosphere that it really captures. And so there's a lot of style to it. The, the vampire execution is such a cool visual. It's one of the most interesting, compelling visuals I've seen in a video game in a really long time. Watching their, their flesh peel away into bone and seeing the bones turn to ash. Like that moment is, that is such a cool moment. And there are so many instances of, of that where clearly someone tried hard, clearly someone delivered a great idea. So it's not all bad. And I'm not gonna come on any show or or tell you it's an all all bad experience because there is a lot that's great you talk about historically arcane has delivered on this idea that you can do whatever you set your mind to in certain ways <laughs> i agree that a lot of that is not here but there are glimpses of it i was playing in co-op with some friends my core group of friends which is always the deciding factor when i play a review i usually don't get to play with my core group of friends because most of my friends aren't in the games industry so we've been playing and we've been messing around with the physics so we've had jake We've had 
uh, Dev, I, I, all, you know, the, the four characters. But mm -hmm, sure. my friend who's been playing as Remy upgraded the C4 charge to make it so it lifts you in the air. My other friend Ryan has been playing as Layla with the lift. And so we got to thinking, yo, can we throw C4 on a player? And so I'm like, hey, Anthony, throw this at me. He throws a C4, it sticks to me. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Ryan, put down your lift. So Layla puts down the lift. I'm Jacob. I run, jump on the lift. And then while I'm in the air, my buddy detonates the C4 charge, which launches me even higher. And we were able to cheese it where we could scale it like basically sheer rock walls by messing with the physics, which is very arcane. And that's what I was expecting in terms of how the co-op worked. So there, there are moments like that where I look at it and say, man, that is special. The first time you go into a vampire nest and you get that stranger things upside down. Yes, atmosphere yes, exactly. All the buildings are twisted and contorted. Yeah, where you yeah. see familiar bu buildings that exist in the world, but they're they're twisted and they're deformed and they're presented in this this weird abstract way. Those moments stand out. But there are just a lot of problems about Redfall that make it a very disappointing, very disappointing, and 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 just questionable release from everyone involved. And ahead of all of, or after all of the the negativity, it's led people to speculate on you know what went wrong, who's to blame, all of that. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But what does Redfall launching in this state message to fans? and critics of the Xbox brand. When when you have a game like Redfall that launches like this, what what message does that send to players who've been waiting for that big great game and folks who've been looking at Xbox and saying you're not giving me a reason to really get on board with you here. Mhm. Mm I think it's tough. I mean, it's not great. There's just no, I don't think there's any other way of slicing. Even though you and I, it seems like, are having more fun than some people, I don't think Redfall is the worst game ever. I do think there's hyperbole flying around with this. Uh, people are always going to indulge in that kind of thing. It is what it is. I, However, I am not happy that it came out in this state. Um, I do, I don't want to jump ahead too much because I know there's a certain other thing on our docket that we're going to yes, dive into. And it kind of ties into this. So I don't want to, I don't want to go too far in that. But what I'll say is this, um, the core design, I'll try to do this very quickly. I'm not sure what can be done without fundamentally reworking large parts of the game. I'm just, I'm not sure about what you can do there, but it certainly shouldn't have shipped with these kinds of bugs and they should have had the 60 FPS. That's those those are the two things I think you can safely address and safely say, like, now come on. If it's launching, should have had these two. The core design, that that's a little more complicated. I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. The the fact that it didn't launch with 60 FPS, that it launched with texture bugs. I think that's another big one that's amplified sure, texture the fact bugs, yeah. that it looks not great. Um, so the overall console experience for a console player has been very disappointing, very underwhelming. And that's amplified a lot of the criticisms of the game because that didn't set the game up for success in a lot of ways. You had a lot of negative messaging going into this launch. So for some people, they were ready to not like it. They were ready to not like it. And then when the game comes out and there are genuine criticisms and genuine fundamental problems with the game design and the game world, then it's easy for people to just say, eh, you know, figured I figured this was going to be lame and, and it's lame. So I'm moving on. Again, I agree. I don't think it's the worst game ever. Um, again, I'm very middle of the road. I'm not going to argue with anyone who gave it a five out of 10, though. Like, 
there are a lot of things that I look at and say, man, that's hugely disappointing. That hugely misses the entire idea uh, of what this game could have been. And I think for people who are connecting with it and enjoying it, they're looking at what it could have been. And we're going to talk about this more, but I wonder if it'll ever be able to deliver on that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, there are fundamental problems to design, not just technical bugs that require a lot of adjustment that this game might not ever get. But before we get into Big Papa Phil on Phil's Big Papa Phil on Redfall on Xbox consoles on competing with Xbox and PlayStation, I got to get to a couple super chats. First up, we got Huffy Bear has become a channel member. Appreciate you. That's huge. But I, at the start of every show, I shout out all the channel members. If you are new to the show, being a member of the channel helps greatly. You get some cool perks. You get some added stuff, and you know, it helps me. You know. Helps me keep this going. Keep keep the dream alive, if you will. Um, Super chat from Face23BKNY. Says, in my opinion, Xbox deserves the smoke with Redfall. Marketing the game, showing PC footage at 60 FPS only. Not showing Redfall running on console. Breaking there, this generation is about performance promise for console. Sam, what's your read on that? Do you think Xbox should get any flack for the, the messaging lead up and the execution of Redfall? There should be a little flag. I, again, I don't want to, we are going to address that. We are absolutely going to address that yes. point, but it ties very heavily into something that we're about to get to. So I don't want to say too much, but yes, like I said, I'm totally on board with, th this should have launched with the 60 FPS mode. Like that's just, that's, th you can take care of that. That could have alleviated some criticisms a little bit. A it it could have helped out. Yes. So face, we are going to touch on that. I promise we you, we are going to touch on that right now, so fall, yeah, as we touched on, there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of conspiracies. And if I'm being honest, considering the state of this launch, I thought that Xbox was just going to put, put their head down, bury their head in the sand and just move on to the Xbox game showcase to say nothing, message nothing, and just wait for the Xbox game showcase to kind of distract from the ABK deal to distract from the Redfall situation. And I thought that'd be their approach because historically when you have bad news like that and you have a negative PR situation like that, that's the play. Nintendo's famous for it. They don't, they don't say anything until they absolutely have to. PlayStation is a similar way. So I thought, despite the fact that Xbox is typically more open with its audience and connects and engages with the audience more, I thought because of how negative the reception was for Redfall that they would just be quiet and hope that the Xbox Game Showcase corrected the messaging for them. And they just would, you know, focus on delivering there. But in a very surprising move, Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, was on Kind of Funny Xcast this week. And Snowbike Mike, Paris Lilly, and other and Gary Witta had a chance to sit down with Phil Spencer and ask him about all of these issues. And it was it was surprising. It was awesome to see. And before we dive into that conversation, I want to give a huge shout out to the X cast. All of those dudes are awesome. They've all almost all of them have been on the show. I got to get Gary. You know, I got my checklist. There's a few more kind of funny folks that I haven't crossed off, but almost everyone from the X cast has been on the show and has been on the show multiple times. So Shout out to them for for landing this in a time where I wasn't expecting Phil Spencer to come on a, a long form yeah. podcast and and answer questions like, yo, what what happened with Redfall, dude? Why didn't you delay it? 
And so shout out to XCast, shout out to Xbox for coordinating that and getting Phil out there to jump on the grenade more or less with all of this negative negative PR. And despite whether the whether or not you're a fan of Xbox, there's no denying that this year and the last couple months have been negative for Xbox. It's just been negative beat after negative beat, and they've been taking a beating. So for Phil Spencer to come out and um, talk about all of that, you, you got to give him props, regardless of how you feel about Xbox or Phil. Like that that um, that's an impressive move. So we got a lot of insights about Redfall. So we're going to be breaking up this conversation into a bunch of different sections regarding right. Phil's comments from this interview. And we got to start with Redfall. We were just talking about our yeah. thoughts on Redfall, you know, wh- how it landed in the community. And um, Phil Spencer was asked to comment on the disappointment from fans surrounding Redfall and the state the game shipped in. He stated that he's disappointed in himself and will be reevaluating the process of preparing games for launch. He also pushed back against folks who suggest that maybe Arcane should have, quote, stayed in their lane by saying, one thing I won't do is push against the creative aspirations of our teams. He stated that he supports Arcane and other teams doing games they aren't necessarily known for. So before we talk about, you know, who's at fault, all of that, Mm -hmm. what happened, blah, blah, blah. I want to touch, I want to talk about that particular line. One thing I won't do is push against the creative aspirations of our teams. How does that message sit with you? Because I've seen so many professionals in the industry say that, they should not have bothered. They should have never even tried to make this game because that's not what Arcane does. That's not who they are. How do you feel about Phil kind of saying, you know, hey, like if teams want to try this, we, we're welcome to let them try it? I mean, I think that's a good thing. I, I fundamentally, and like the problem is, and Phil touches on this, you can't have creative aspiration without taking risk. It, it, the two are interlocked. They are interconnected. You cannot have one without the other. You can't have an environment where creative leads are allowed to thrive and try new things and new people can become creative directors at teams and spread their wings and fly in you know crazy ways without also, hey, they might face plant as well. Um, that's just that's how it is. If If Obsidian was told to stay in their lane and make their classic RPGs and that's all they need to do, we wouldn't have grounded, which is... I, in my opinion, the best survival game on the market. We wouldn't have. Hell yeah, brother. We would would not have Pentiment, which is one of the most brilliant, innovative games I've played in the last year. Just the way it is this intersection of medieval theology and ideology and, you know, love of religion, but also what religion drives people to do and hate and jealousy. I absolutely love Pentiment. We wouldn't have that if Obsidian was told to stay in their lane. Like on paper, no. Go forty people between these two games, no. Get Avowed out the door earlier. Get the Outer Worlds two out the door earlier. I don't like that, and I'm happy that is not what Xbox is. Um, however, there's a little bit of an asterisk mark on that. I think they have to do a better job interjecting themselves and supporting when something is, you know, when a team is branching out and doing something very different. And that's something Phil admits later on in this interview. Yeah, we are definitely going to talk about that as well. So, again, for people who are already going to jump in and say, wait a second, but, you know, it's about management, blah, blah. Yes, we are going to talk about that component of this conversation. But I do want to talk about this idea of championing developers and their creative ambitions. Because what I hear all the time, and this is a misconception, because I have talked to development teams about this. 
idea that, you know, oh, when someone is doing something new, they're being forced to do that, that someone is telling them you have to do that. And that's usually not the case. Usually it's somebody within the team or a group of people within a team that have an idea for, hey, we we like this game. We like this format because believe it or not, developers play video games. They, they enjoy video games and they enjoy video game genres that aren't what they make. So a lot of the times a, a case like Redfall is Arcane saying, hey, like we like this genre. We have an idea for a twist on this genre and we want to see if we can do it. What I don't like about the idea of people saying, oh, they should stick to this. They should only make this style of game. At a certain point, all of our favorite games of all time are usually ones that subvert our expectations, are usually ones that deliver an experience we've never gotten mm -hmm. before, and almost always come from a team that's trying a genre or delivering something that they've never done before. So if you are a true fan of the artistry of video games, why would you fall into that camp of, oh, these guys should only make this? What if they've been right. holding themselves back from creating the, the next great thing, your next favorite game of all time? So that's yep. that's why I, I am glad that Phil came out and pushed back on that point in particular. Because yes, if somebody has a great idea, that is the messaging of Xbox Game Studios. That is the benefit of Xbox Game Pass is that we should have creativity and teams should be empowered to try new things, take risks. Clearly, sometimes they're not going to work out and, you know, that's going to be a problem for Xbox to handle and and Phil to handle. And that's why I again, I really commend Phil for jumping on the grenade because they could have been quiet. Yep. Let the conspiracy theories run and just let Arcane get just lashed out on for for, you know, the remainder of this year. Just get absolutely clowned on as the the bad quote bad game of 2023. So I'm glad that Phil came out and, you know, stuck up for them and, and came out and said, like, hey. People want to take a risk. Even if it doesn't work out, we're going to support that. And that's huge. We need trillion dollar companies at the very least to do that. My God, yep. like the idea that people don't want a company like Microsoft who can afford it more than, let's be frank, more than anyone else. Like Microsoft can take some risks. They can take some gambles with teams and projects and damn it, they should. All right, Sam. Yeah, I mean, one of the most important things about that interview to me, Miles, was him talking about, and we're going to get into this, they should have done a better job at the end of the day. He's still going to bet on Arcane Austin again and again to deliver a great game. And that was important to me as an Arcane fan to hear that because it's like, yes, that is important. Um, do I want their next game to be like this? No, I'd I want Prey 2. If anyone in Arcane Austin is listening, like I'd, I'd like another Prey, please. Uh, please give me something like that. But hey, whatever they do next, if Xbox and Bethesda are backing them, then that is important. Yes. So another part of this conversation, as you touched on, was, you know, why wasn't this delayed? Because we see that a lot. We have a lot of people sure. who look at this game and say, this, you know, this clearly wasn't ready. I talked about it. I said the polish across the board wasn't there. It didn't feel like a polished, ready-to-go experience. So why not? Why not delay it? Why not give it more time? Because Phil Spencer states in this conversation and other conversations that they're not adverse to delaying a game they're not against delaying a game but i believe as paris talked about you know that balance of shipping versus delaying when you know something isn't going to be feature complete or isn't going to launch in the best state what's that balance and we know we don't know what the hard conversations were behind the scenes but it's safe to say that there were hard conversations behind the scenes that said hey this is what the game is going to be this is what we were able to deliver we, we set loftier goals. We had to scale those goals back. And this is what we can actually ship and deliver. And so at a certain point, 
a game needs to come out. And so Phil Spencer addressed that balance and basically said, you know, when there's bugs, when there's technical problems, we will always delay. That's fine. Again, there are bugs and technical problems with Redfall. And so he did, you know, own up to that and say, oops, sorry, our bad, <laughs> our bad there. But then talked about that balance of create or delivering on your internal ambitions. And he states that Arcane didn't meet their internal goals for what Redfall was supposed to be in terms of the experience. And so we did get some context, but I think we have some more questions about that. And I want to yeah. ask you, and I want to ask the community is, what do you think the best approach is when we have a Redfall where they're sitting down, they're playing it. It's not hitting, it's not delivering on their goals. It's, it's not what the experience was meant to be. It's not what they want the experience to be. And we're going to have to ship it. What, what do you, what do you think the, the best approach should be there? I've seen people say, well, they should have just canceled this game then if it didn't deliver on that approach. Like what, what's your call on that? I'm never going to advocate for that. I think I, I don't like the idea of just if they had canceled it, Miles, you and I both know what the headlines would be. You, you <laughs> Oops, would, you Xbox know. is at it and, again, boy. And if it hadn't been, and if it had been canceled before it was revealed, because I've seen people say that as well, cancel it before it's revealed. Like, well, one, there were a lot of people on that team who were very passionate about this game. So is, that's overreach. That could be mismanagement. And then there'd be headlines about like, you know, Xbox cancels a new vampire shooter from beloved studio. Like, I don't think there is a situation where you win there, Miles. I think the best case scenario is that they should have been involved in the process earlier instead of just leaving Arcane off to themselves and going like, hey, you good? Yeah, we're good. Like, no, like maybe you get in there and check if they're good. Doesn't mean that that's not mismanagement. You can give them that creative freedom. And Phil does own up to this in that interview. That's about what, what I'm about to touch on. But like you own the coalition. You own the best team with Unreal Engine in the world yes. outside of Epic Games. They are the yeah. only ones who can keep like step for step with Epic and what they do. They should have been in there a long time ago. They are now. Phil Spencer says in the interview with the X-Cast that uh, once the Coalition and Rare found out about what was going on, they sent some engineers over to try and work with Arcane and get this stuff figured out. That's great. That should have been going on this time last year. Heck, that should have been going on when the game was first revealed back in 2021, you should have had someone from the coalition or from rare, you know, or the advanced technology group saying, okay, this is your first game exclusively for these two platforms and windows PC. What do you need? What can we help you with? Like, what do you, what do, do you understand this? Do you understand that? Ask for help. I think that's what they're going to have to get better at. They need to be better at asking for help. Does that fix everything? No, but the game comes out in a much better state. I absolutely agree. I think this, regardless of what was said in this interview with Phil, this points to the fact that there is a huge disconnect between Xbox and Bethesda. A lot of people, I think, ap assumed after the acquisition that they were more intertwined. We had the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase. They were, they were messaging the fact that Bethesda games were now first-party Xbox games. And like we talked about, this was the first AAA $70 Xbox game and Bethesda game. And to learn that we didn't have people like the coalition or the advanced technology group coming in earlier on to ensure that this was ready to rock and roll, that's disappointing. That That is really disappointing and that's gotta be frustrating. I don't know what the reality is behind the scenes in terms of communication. Maybe, I, I, I wouldn't even say maybe, it's clear that they didn't know the state of the game in terms of 
the reality in terms of the, the problems that this team were facing. Maybe that team didn't do a good enough job communicating. Maybe that team wasn't used to having a Microsoft, the, the big technical sure. resources of Microsoft. They're used to the Bethesda. They're used to how Bethesda operates. They're used to figuring problems out on their own. And they're used to just like buckling down and doing it. And maybe they tried. Maybe they, I guarantee <laughs> they tried their damnedest. Oh yeah, sure. Those are hardworking people who have made inc some of my favorite games of all time. Like I know they put their effort into this, but also I've seen a lot of people saying this had to be a published decision. This had to be a publisher decision. Y'all, we have evidence. Respawn did not want to delay Jedi Survivor anymore. Like that, has, Vince Zampella, head of uh, you know Respawn and the Battlefield franchise, has openly said in an interview that EA asked, "Hey, Respawn, do you want another delay? We'll give you another delay if you want." Respawn said, "No, we can fix the issues by then." The six weeks is all we need. I love the game, but clearly they couldn't. Clearly they they bit off more than they could chew. It is not impossible for a creative, incredibly talented, world top tier talent team to bite off more than they can chew. And that's, again, this was their first open world game, a looter shooter, a big experience that's demanding, takes a lot. There's a lot of components to it. And clearly they had problems delivering on their vision. So Bill Spencer, like you said, owns up and says we should have been involved earlier. And I 100% agree. I think when we look at Xbox, we look at comments where Phil says, you know, we're going to reevaluate the process. What I want to see from Xbox is I want to see a, develop a developer empowerment team that goes early, mid-development, and they go from team to team and they check on the state of the game. They have the hard conversations. They have the real conversations early on and say, what are you looking to do with this? What is your goal for, for delivering? What is, mm -hmm. how do you want the player to feel? What do you want the gameplay loop to be? Can you do this? What is the timeline? And most importantly, what do you need? Phil Spencer in this interview tells you not to give Microsoft any slack and you should demand a lot of Microsoft because of the resources they have. And that's where I'm at. I absolutely agree with that mentality. Microsoft has more resources than most people can ever fathom. So the fact that an arcane didn't get the support that they needed to deliver an amazing experience with Redfall, it's it's disappointing. It's frustrating. So, you know, I see people calling for Phil's job, calling for Matt Booty's job. I think the reality is that those dudes are incredibly busy. They're stretched too thin and they need some people underneath them who can go in and, and really get in with these studios and not make it micromanaging because nobody wants, my, no one wants to be micromanaged, but they need someone who can empower these developers to, if they have a bold idea, have the resources to get it done. Like you said, the coalition, they are, they're masters of Unreal. We've heard Matt Booty talk about these meetings where they get all of the teams together to show the ideas and the games that they're working on. I wanna see more of that. And I wanna see somebody who like look at an early build of Redfall and say, hey, that's neat, but I learned this when I was working with Unreal and you could implement that. And here's how it could benefit your game. Stuff like that needs to be happening very early on. Not mm -hmm. at, at the 11th hour, because at the 11th hour, you can't do a damn thing about it. We're going to be waiting yeah. weeks and weeks to get 60 FPS. And and who knows what the, the fundamental changes of the game will look like, whether or not they there will be fundamental changes to the game. We know there's going to be two characters. There's a season yep. pass type thing where there are characters. So we know at least characters are coming, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's just characters. They deliver on that because they legally have to, and then they move on. We don't know. But it is refreshing to hear Phil talk about sending the advanced technology group out, sending out the coalition, sending out Rare, getting hands on this game. Yeah. But it's frustrating to know that it took 
negative PR. It took the 30 FPS announcement. It took the game potentially launching in a very suboptimal state for that to be the reality here. So what, what I'm hoping, Miles, not to cut you off, but what I'm hoping is that this is an inflection point for Xbox and Bethesda and for Bethesda to realize what it means to be part of Xbox and for Xbox to realize what it means to have Bethesda and that they can all work together a lot more closely. And Phil does say they've done a better job with Starfield. He said they did send the team over a lot earlier on in order to help and make sure Todd and his team at BGS had what they needed and all of that. Like, that's good. That should be the standard moving forward. You, gotta, yeah. you all got to work together here. You're all you're all one big team now. One team, one dream, Sam. I see <laughs> Spider-Man 356 in the chat say, why didn't they ask for help earlier? Like I, I touched on that. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they weren't communicating the problems that they're having. And like I said, maybe that comes down to the fact that they weren't used to being under Microsoft because as Harvey Smith said in a recent interview, it was changed with a capital C in terms of the culture. And that, that changes a lot. And we know Microsoft has been preoccupied let's be quite frank with the activision yeah. blizzard deal all of the executive leadership that's been their focus i'm sorry and that's that's the hard reality is like that's been consuming time and energy and resources so you know maybe like i said maybe arcane was just trying to get it done and they weren't used to like having the option to have the coalition come out because that's that, that wasn't the case with bethesda you probably weren't calling the coalition when you were just bethesda on an island saying hey we're struggling with Redfall. Can you can you come help us ship our game? But now they're under the same umbrella. They have the resources, and we we want to see that, you know, delivered. The, the promise of what a game can be delivered. So Gary talk, had a great message about failures and about how you pick yourself up and move on, and that was kind of a theme of this interview. Phil Phil touched on those points as well. So they talked about this mock review process. And they basically, you know, put some heat on Phil and said, where was this, where were you expecting this game to be? Because I think a lot of, that's my biggest, my biggest piece of criticism regarding Redfall is I look at the game and I say, how do people not know where this was going to land? It, it wasn't like, oh, this game just isn't for some people. It's this game universally had some fundamental problems. So how did you know, how did you know? Or, or how did you feel about the game pre-launch? And so they pushed on that, and Phil talked about the mock review process and said that Redfall ended up double digits lower than they were expecting, but that still suggests that this, they were expecting this game to be in the low 70s, high 60s in this mm -hmm. case. So again, still not a, a glowing seal of approval. Um, but then Phil also said that they will remain committed to the game and even compared it to success stories like Sea of Thieves, which is bold because... Sea of Thieves right now is one of Xbox's crowning achievements in terms of the redemption arc, in terms of player growth, in terms of player retention, in terms of what that experience is. And in that same interview, Phil Spencer also says that sometimes there's a disconnect between the goals and, you know, when there's fundamental problems with the game versus technical bugs, you ship it anyway. Do you think we'll see Redfall turn around considering that messaging in that interview? You think it's going to get the time and resources to be able to deliver on what those original goals were. I'm hesitant of comparing anything to Sea of Thieves, not as a comment on a team or a team's capability or anything like that, just because Sea of Thieves, whatever it is, whatever you think of it, I love Sea of Thieves. I know I don't have to ask your opinion on it, Miles. Even mm. back when it released and it just didn't have these incredible years of support that it has gotten, even at launch, there was nothing like Sea of Thieves. 
Yep. There was absolutely nothing like it. it. It was a unique game, and even people who didn't like care for it well, like see if these did not get great reviews. Like what mid mid sixties, high sixties, I think sixty nine, baby. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. So like it wasn't incredible. Like, e- but even the negative reviews did point out, hey, this is a bare bones skeleton, but it is a very cool skeleton. And if they do add stuff to this, that's not likely. It'll be incredible. They did add things to it, and well, I mean, just what a success story! My God, what a success story! Is that I I can't make the call whether that's the case for Redfall or not. I just can't. I don't think it's fair to say it will definitively happen or it will not. What I know is they need to do a good job supporting it. Obviously, the team, you know, be aware of the bugs. They need to fix the bugs. The two characters are being sold. We, they will deliver the two characters. They'll deliver the 60 FPS patch. I'm guessing, Miles, if I have to pull out my crystal ball, that after those things, like after they fix some bugs, after the two characters are out, and after they get the 60 FPS patch out, excuse me, I think they probably have a good hard conversation at that point about what can be done versus moving on to the next game. I think that's a fair way to look at it. I I think the comparison to Sea of Thieves is a tough one because like you said, Sea of Thieves was content light at launch, but the core loop was there. The core reason that people love and play Sea of Thieves, that was tight as hell. That game was polished as hell. And even though after a certain point, people ran out of things to do, the core experience of Sea of Thieves was immaculate. I've, I've talked about Sea of Thieves ad nauseum. Like, see if, to compare the Sea of Thieves core loop to the Arcane core loop is not very fair. It's not very fair. And I agree with you. I think they're going to deliver on the 60 FPS mode. They're going to deliver on those characters. But if they are going to eventually get the game to the vision that they originally had, that comes back to the original conversation. Then why didn't you delay it? If you're going to a year from now, this game is going to have the comeback. It's going to have the glow up and it's going to be what it was supposed to be. Then why didn't you delay it? So that's where that's why I think he had to be very careful with how he messaged it sure. because they can't overpromise that. There's no promise that the core gameplay loop is going to change in the way that people want it to, but maybe they are they are able to get some of those other teams involved and deliver some features or some mechanics that in the short term, renew some more faith in what the game can be. And I think if we can get there, if the, if the characters come out and they reinvigorate the player base, if there's some cool new content that reinvigorates the player base, I think maybe then we can have, like you said, those longer conversations about what the tale of this game can be, because we expect a lot of looter shooters in this day and age to have that tale, to have that ongoing content but based on how this game launched and how it's received, it's it's a big question mark. It's a really big question mark. And I think, you know, even Phil was very careful with what he promised there because he only promised that 60 FPS mode. So I want, again, I think the IP is great in terms of its potential. I think in theory, this idea of battling it out against vampires on a midnight mass Stephen King inspired Mm -hmm. island is incredible. I think the lore of having a pharmaceutical company trying to make a life-saving serum by literally siphoning the blood out of people to make them last longer is a great narrative device for a story in the horror setting. There's a lot that I think has potential. And I just, I don't know based on what we've heard that that this game will have that sea of thieves redemption arc, but I would love for a year or two from now for Redfall to still be going and still, and sure. be able to pull in an sure. audience. But that is a question mark, Sam. 
I got to give a quick shout out to everyone rocking with us. We got 182 beautiful people here, gorgeous people hanging out in the chat, watching the show. If you are digging it, hit that like button, share it out. If you're listening to the audio version, if you want to do me a huge solid, leave a review, help feed that algorithm. We got some channel members in there that have that, you see that amazing burger badge? Mm, delish. If you want to become a channel member, get some perks, hit that join button for more deets there. Let's talk about the Xbox Games Showcase, Sam. It's it, It's been a week. There's a lot to cover. We have a lot there to dive lot into to on the show. So as part of this week, we had Redfall on Tuesday. And then Wednesday morning, bright and early, Xbox is like, yo, Xbox Game Showcase. Uh, here's, the, here's the time. We had the date previously. Yeah, we know yeah. that the Xbox Game Showcase and the Starfield Direct are on June 11th, but we got some time. So... The, we got some specific times for, for when it starts. So 10 a.m. Pacific time on June 11th is when the Xbox Game Showcase starts. And immediately after the Xbox Game Showcase is the Starfield Direct. And then a few days later, we will have the follow-up uh, conference. Blanking on the name. Do you remember what they call that? Extended. The, the Xbox yeah, Game that's Showcase right. Extended. Yes. Where they like have interviews. Like last year, they interviewed Josh Sawyer on Pentiment and the developers of... Uh, you know, the, at Oxide, at Oxide Games, who are working on that strategy game, uh, or a History Untold, that was the one. And then, like, they had them talking about Grounded, Obsidian again, like, so presumably something similar to that. Yes, exactly. So the extended game showcase. So again, there's gonna be a lot of talking about video games and a lot of showing of video games. They were very specific in their messaging via this blog post of what players can expect, what they should look forward to. And given the fact that people were disappointed or even frustrated or even straight up livid about the uh, the 12 month idea and its failure of execution in a lot of ways this was another thing that Phil touched on in that interview with Xcast is the fact that yeah we did not we did not deliver on that 12 month promise so there's mm -hmm. a lot of expectations given the fact that Redfall didn't launch very spectacularly given the fact that 2022 was light People are going into the showcase with a lot of expectations, and that's putting a lot of pressure on Xbox to really, really deliver. So according to the official blog post, here is what players should expect. Join us for some new surprises and first looks from our incredibly talented internal studios and our many creative partners around the world. This is the day gamers have been waiting for to see what is coming to Xbox, PC, and Game Pass. Starfield Direct will invite you inside Bethesda Game Studios to learn much, much more about Starfield with tons of new gameplay, developer interviews, and behind-the-scenes insider information. Like last year, we'll also have our follow-up stream, Xbox Game Showcase Extended, airing June 13th at 10 a.m. Pacific, with in-depth interviews focused on the news from our Xbox Game Showcase, as well as game updates from our partners. Sam, we've... We've talked about setting expectations. I've talked previously about how Xbox has been notorious for over-promising and under-delivering. Again, I don't think that's not unfair to say. That's the reality of their messaging. Phil Spencer alluded to that fact in the, in the X-Cast interview as well. There is one particular line that, that sets some expectations and a lot of people have been pointing to, and I want to get your read on it. And that particular line is... This is the day gamers have been waiting for to see what is coming to Xbox, PC, and Game Pass. What message does that convey to you and fans around the world? I got to be completely honest. 
I'm confused how any. I just read it as, uh, yeah, this is the day that we're, this is our showcase. I, I didn't really think that much of it. I got to be real with you, Miles. <laughs> I just thought. Oh, you didn't okay, dive yeah, down sure. the conspiracy rabbit holes? No, I really didn't. I really, Bro, really get, didn't. Get creative with it, all right? That means. Fable, State of Decay 3, Banjo, the Super Smash Bros. Xbox clone, Killer Instinct, they're all okay. there. But well, so so let's talk about what is there then, Miles, because there was an in other interesting part of, you know, Phil Spencer's interview with the X-Cast where, you know, Paris Lily was just rattling off this long, long, long list of games. And then Phil said there will be updates to some, he didn't say all, he did not say all, but some of the games on your list. Yeah. Smiles like some to me implies more than one. That's just the way I see it. Doesn't imply all, but it implies more than one. So what are we getting updates on? Miles? Imagine well, if the games? Xbox game showcase was one game. How cool would that be? <laughs> they show one game and they go into the Starfield direct. Would that be enough? You think fans would be stoked no, about that? Oh. No, no. Okay. So yes, I want to read some, some context there because yes, Phil Spencer Paris Lilly had his list of stuff we all know about, our avows, our fables, our Everwilds, our State of the K3s. There's a lot of games that we we know are coming that have previously been revealed that we haven't gotten updates on. Hellblade 2. So here's what Phil Spencer had to say during that interview, and then we can kind of talk about what we're expecting to see there. So, quote, I'm not going to try and oversell the showcase. But I'm very excited about Showcase. We're going to announce some things people haven't seen with new games and show updates for previously announced Xbox Game Studios titles. So, Sam, let's talk about the games that everyone wants to see first. The games that people, every single Showcase, speculate. Fable, Perfect Dark. Do you think we see Fable or Perfect Dark at this show? Miles, I think we see one of them. You think it's I Fable? Think we, I, you think it's finally I, Fable? I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's Perfect Dark. I could see, I could see either. I, I could see either. I agree. I, I, like Phil said, he was very careful. We're not going to see updates sure. to all of them. No, no. But considering it's been the longest since we've heard about Fable, I think... There's a possibility that we'll see some sort of update for Fable, whether that's a full gameplay deep dive or some new trailer, letting people know what to expect from the world. I think it's been long enough that a lot of players want to see something from Fable, even if it isn't necessarily the big gameplay deep dive, because we don't know what the reality of that timeline is still. There's mixed mm -hmm. information on LinkedIn. Somebody pointed to uh, somebody working on Fable that talked about fable being in a flighting phase so that people are theoretically playing fable i don't know that that's the reality i don't have any sort of information there but if there is something that they can show from that game um that would be a huge win for xbox fans x the xbox platform because i think for a lot of players that's the one that's that's the really big one that's a question mark we've gotten updates for fable i or for hellblade 2 and phil spencer kind of alluded to the fact that that's coming in the next few quarters. Actually, he didn't even allude. He, he said it's coming in the next few quarters because he listed it with Starfield, with Forza Motorsport. Um, and then Hellblade 2 was in the list of, he was. In, yeah. they were having a broad conversation about delivering one game per quarter. And he said that 
I think we're finally there. I think we can finally do it. I see the timeline. It looks good. We have Starfield. We have Forza Motorsport. We have Hellblade 2. Uh, there's a playable build for Avowed. So he is he is messaging this idea that coming in the next few quarters, we will have Hellblade 2 and Avowed. So do you think we finally see the big gameplay showcase for Avowed at the Xbox Game Showcase? Yes, and, and but I'll jump the gun on you and say Hellblade 2 as well. I think those I think those are the two big ones and then one of either Perfect Dark or Fable, but not both. I think I think three games there updates big updates on three big games with like release windows slash release dates for two of them. That makes sense to me. That seems right to me. The time seems right. Yes, if Phil Spencer's coming on the X, X cast and telling you that he's seen a good build of Avowed and mentioning it, mentioning it alongside this list of games coming in the next few quarters. I'm, I don't, if they don't show about at the showcase, I'm going to be like, Phil, my man. Yeah. Are, yeah. You were just talking about setting expectations. My dude, what are Doesn't you doing? It doesn't come out this year, but like, I'm thinking when, when I hear next few quarters, I'm thinking like, okay, we have the upcoming quarter because this one's about to end in June, right? Obviously. Then we have the upcoming one. You assume Forza Motorsport is somewhere in there, right? July to July to August. Like you assume Forza Motorsport's in there. We know Starfield, September 6th. That makes sense. Maybe you fit Hellblade 2 in at like end of October, early November, somewhere in that range. And then Avowed is first quarter next year. That makes sense to my brain. That 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 makes sense. I can see that. Yes, absolutely. Um, Phil also talked about showing new games. The players haven't seen we know there's a lot of xbox teams right. who are working on projects that we have not seen yet they've been quiet for years compulsion games is the prime yeah. example they've been hard at work since we happy few and we haven't gotten any official updates from them that being said they're currently hiring a community manager which could indicate that they're trying to ramp up the the, the lead up to their next game and it could suggest that we might see what's next from compulsion at the xbox game showcase as well and i think of the unannounced secret Xbox projects. I think that's a big one. Phil also talks about partners, seeing new stuff from partners around the world. So I think there's potential to see, you know, the games like Project Shaolin that we've been talking about for a little while, um, maybe even the Kojima project. And again, I know people are skeptical or, or tired of hearing about the Kojima project, but there was a leaked trailer last year for what is likely going to be. Right. The Ko right, Kojima yeah. project with gameplay. And so a lot of people going into last year's show are like, yo, are we going to see that? So I feel like with the fact that they had Kojima come out stage, come out on stage last year and say, hey, we're working together. I feel like they are primed to have that big gameplay reveal moment. And I know he's knee deep in Death Stranding 2 right now. Sure. sure. But you presume that's going to come out first. I, I, I would assume. But who knows? Exactly. But you know they've been ramping up hiring. They have multiple teams. So there's there's not it's not impossible for both of those games to be in active development in tandem. So there's a lot of potential for what this show could be. What how, again, this is a tired conversation, and I'm you know, it's yeah, a question we we see hyperbolically addressed every single year with Xbox, but you know, how important is this show for Xbox, given the state of ABK, given the state of Redfall, given the question marks of their future of games? Like, what does Xbox need to do and how important is this show for them to do it? I mean, it's important. I don't think it's... 
I think it's very important to get right. It's very important. But also last year's show was important. And the one before that was important. I don't place undue weight, if that makes any sense. But it is absolutely very important. It's very important to me what Starfield. The Starfield direct component is, I think, to me, a very large portion of this. Like, it is absolutely important that this game launch incredibly well. It's absolutely important that this game launch... I'm not going to say incredibly polished because a little bit of Bethesda jank and a little bit of Bethesda <laughs> bugs are part of the charm. I mm, want that. I, mm, yeah. I want to hit someone in the face with a space wrench and just watch him fly off into orbit. Like, I want that experience. Yeah, that's part but of it the needs magic. to be the most polished Bethesda Game Studios title, like, at launch. Like, it, ne- it needs to be up, you know, up and above, uh, uh, cut above what Fallout 4 and Skyrim were in terms of polish. It needs to be well-supported. So, like, to me, that's the most important component of this, actually, is the Starfield Direct. People people want a near-term win, as Phil mm-hmm. talked about in this X-Cast interview. And, again, it really shows how in tune Phil is and the Xbox team is with feedback from the community. Mm-hmm. Is that They listen, they engage, and they understand where people are at. And so Phil said numerous times in this interview, basically, I know you're tired of hearing promises about the future. Like, I know, I know you're tired of waiting. And... I think that's where a lot of people are. And so it's important for him to address that because that is the reality. Xbox mm-hmm. fans and people who are skeptical of Xbox want a near-term win. They want a near-term must-play game. And Starfield right now is poised to be that. Starfield, for all intents and purposes, need, quote, needs to be that. But that's, mm-hmm. that's the truth. If Starfield isn't, like you said, the most, at least the most polished Bethesda game at launch, and people are going to say, yo, Xbox, what what does you being involved with Bethesda mean? What does that mean mm-hmm. for these games? Right. If it doesn't mean they're going to be better, because people can look at Redfall and say, you didn't, you didn't make that better. Like, you did not help. And then there's people saying the exact opposite. People are saying, oh, Microsoft is the reason it's bad, which I don't think that's fair either. No, it seems no. like they were pretty hands off with their approach in this game. Um, right. But that's going to be the messaging that gets built up. And whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. It's for it's on Xbox to own up and correct that. And so Starfield is going to be a big testament. It's going to be really interesting to see whether or not that is 60 FPS. That Snowbike Mike asked Phil, hey, are we going to know definitively in June whether or not Starfield is 60 FPS on console? He didn't tell us there, but he just said, yes, you'll at least know. So we'll at least know. And that's going to be a big question because people... Some people are going to be very upset if it isn't 60, um, but at least sure. they're going to make sure to message that. I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know where it's going to land. I think it could realistically be 30, but maybe with them bringing in the advanced technology group early on, bringing in other teams early on, they want to make sure that they can hit that. Maybe when they showed gameplay last year, that was their moment. where like, yo, everyone who can be here, get over here. We need to figure out how to get this to 60. And maybe even just honestly, Miles, I'll ex- with Bethesda, I'll accept an unlocked frame rate mode. It doesn't, yeah, uh, that, that's okay. where I'm at. I'm going on record right now. Like, and, and look, I do, I don't want to get bogged down this too much. I think if messaged properly and the emphasis they place on physics and the emphasis on the game size, Starfield being 30 is a very different conversation than Redfall being 30. I, I don't think those are applicable, I don't think those are the exact same thing. But my hope is just give us the option to unlock it for future proofing yeah give me that and i'll be cool as a cucumber 
Ex- exactly. So, maybe, you know, if we can rock a cool 45 FPS, that's right. You know, I'll take exactly. It. I'll, I'll, ta- I'll definitely take it. Okay. 51 when you're looking up at the sky and nothing's going on. Yeah, if you on. look straight down on the ground, locked 60, dude, all day. Just don't look up. Just don't look up. And this game's 60, baby. Um, right, there we go. So, yes, there's going to be a lot of question marks about Starfield. There's going to be a lot of question marks about the show. But again, I think the reason a lot of us are here talking about the showcase, talking about the future of Xbox, as much as, you know, Phil has said, like, I know people are tired of talking about the future is the future is exciting. There's a lot of stuff that has been revealed. There's a lot of stuff that hasn't been revealed that paint a bright picture of what the future of Xbox game studios can be and what what the games will be and what these teams can deliver. And again, for a lot of us, that's the most exciting thing about the games industry is, you know, where games are going, where the tech is going, what what these investments, what these massive financial investments are going to mean for the games. And we want them to, you know, coalesce into something beautiful. There's the, the the business reality that's boring. And then there's the art. And then there's this this balance of art and business that have to come together to make something that we all agree. Like, okay, like it's art, but I'm also giving you $70. So, but I also don't feel bad about giving you $70. That's where it needs to be. Nobody wants to spend $70 on a video game. Nobody wants to spend $70 on anything, but at the very least, at the other side of this experience, nobody should ever feel bad about giving you $70. And that's, you know, I've had people like say point blank that they are really mad that they spent 70 or even $100 on the deluxe edition for Redfall. And if you sure. did, I don't blame you. That's sure. that's a that's a big ask for a lot of players. So Xbox at this showcase, again, I know people say wait till next year wait till next e3 (laughs) and that day will never come all right e3 is dead so now the meme will live forever because there never will be that next e3 and so maybe that's gonna happen maybe xbox has damned itself to some sort of purgatory because e3 is gone and we've had to wait for next e3 maybe they'll never ever be able to deliver because e3 will never come sam all right all right (laughs) um Okay, so I'm going through my notes, making sure I covered all the points. So yeah, again, we touched on the promises of the future. Um, here's a, a couple of choice quotes from Phil that I really appreciated. And I really appreciated Phil just jumping on the grenade because everyone wants someone to blame in these situations. And it leads to conspiracies about who's at fault, what happened behind mm-hmm. the scenes. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's Phil. It's on Phil. And so I'm glad Phil came out and said, yeah, it is, it is on me, like at the end of the day. So... Bill said, quote, the Xbox community should demand a lot of us as a team. We've got the resources to do better. He also said, until you have a controller in your hand and are smiling from playing our games, none of my words should matter. Because a lot of people have said, you know, I'm tired of listening to Phil say the same things every couple of years. Games are coming. Sorry, we didn't deliver. Games are coming. Sorry, we didn't deliver. And so it was refreshing to have Phil come out and say, like, hey, like, I get it. If you're skeptical of us, you're skeptical of me. I get it. That was refreshing. Um, now, Sam, now we got to get to the real spice here. You know, Redfall was spicy enough. The Xbox game showcase, that's spicy enough. But as you've seen, if you've been on social media, there's one particular part of this conversation that came at the very end of the interview about Xbox and the console market. And a lot of people are are taking this particular con moment out of context of the conversation and saying yo what's up is xbox giving up xbox is throwing in the towel on the console market what the hell phil i thought you we were the big bad most powerful xbox series x what happened 
So let's talk about it because I thought that was personally the most compelling and interesting moment of this entire interview. And it was at the very end. So if you've been in the Xbox camp on the console side, you've probably been disappointed in one way, shape or form the last couple of years. The Xbox Series X and S in a lot of ways are great consoles, but we've seen third-party games perform worse on Xbox. We've seen first-party games perform worse on Xbox consoles. We've had Redfall come out and only be 30 FPS on consoles. And so Snowbike Mike straight up asked, hey, are you shifting the love away from the console? I know you're trying to be everywhere. Your, your Play Anywhere initiative is pushing people to PC and cloud, but yo, where's the love for the console? Should we not expect that? So Phil addressed the console and there's some big, big, huge quotes that are worth covering. So Phil dropped some encouraging and curious comments regarding the company's current standing in the console market. First up, Phil said, we'll definitely continue to make the console experience as great as it can be. But we have a different vision. We want Xbox to be something that people feel like they're full members of regardless of where they play. So those messages aren't new. This idea that Phil Spencer sure. wants people to go and invest in the Xbox ecosystem wherever they want, whether it's their phone, PC, console. And he kind of alluded to the fact that he didn't want you know, to make people feel like if they're playing on their phone or PC that they're not getting the full Xbox, quote, experience. But... We did get some interesting insights to how Phil, Phil feels about the current standings of Xbox in the market versus the juggernauts, PlayStation and Nintendo. With this choice quote, we're not in the business of out Sony or out Nintendo. There really isn't a great win for us. So Sam, that particular line is one that's being ran with when it comes to mm -hmm. Xbox in the console market. What's your interpretation of that? We're not in the business of out Sony or out Nintendo. I would have thought this was obvious back in 2018 when they made the shocking announcement that every first party game would be on Game Pass day one. That's where my mind went. I, when, you, when you lose a head-up match... You don't copy your competitor and just think, oh, well, this is how they beat me, so I'm going to do it back, and like I'm going to win that way. That's never been how the console industry has worked. That's never been how the video game market has worked. You disrupt things. You're a disruptor. I don't mean that in a tech bro, Silicon tech bro, Valley. Let me, let me buy Twitter on a whim because I'm the ultimate divorced man. You know, like nothing like that. I mean it in the, you have to think outside the box. You have to come at a different angle. You know, when PlayStation stumbled with the PS3 riding high up, the PS2 was mighty. All oh, those hundred, yeah. you know, all those consoles sold millions upon millions. And the PS3 just came out and face planted it from overconfidence. They didn't win by completely copying. They had to innovate. PlayStation Plus giving monthly free games. That was innovation. The PS3, I've long argued, is where that's where you actually see Sony's first party become defined. They had first party games before that. That's not what I'm saying. Bend, you know, with Siphon Filter, Japan Studio, with myriad different titles. Twisted Metal was in there. But the PS3 is where you see Naughty Dog go, okay, we're going to shine. That's where you see Insomniac. Well, they weren't first 
you know what I mean. You had uh, Insomniac and Guerrilla Games, you know, really coming to the fore and inventing new games. And some of them worked and some of them didn't, but that's the crucible in which they were forged. And they refined it, brought it to the PS4, and it worked well. Microsoft disrupted the game with the 360 when how they planned for online. And they built the 360 to be incredibly forward thinking. You know, just like if you played PS3 online versus 360 online, you know, it's not <laughs> a comparison. I mean, oh my God, it's not a comparison at all. But just the way, even the way the storefront works. Uh. Come on. Uh, Nintendo, when the Wii U faceplant feels like that feels nice and cherry picked and positive, the Wii U bombed. The Wii U was an atrocity that hardcore people I know just did not get one and didn't even know it was a thing. I, it was a marketing failure beyond belief. They came back with the Nintendo Switch. This is long-winded rant is brought to you by the concept that, <laughs> yes, what Phil is saying is correct. They lost, and they did lose a very important generation. I've seen a lot of people ignoring that context, but that was part of what he said, Miles, when he talked about people's digital libraries being solidified. So, obviously... Obviously, they need to deliver great games. That's not up for debate, okay? Obviously, Starfield needs to be an incredible game. Hellblade 2, Avowed, they need to be incredible games. But, and will they sell millions of more consoles when that's the case? Obviously. Obviously, console sales will be boosted by that. But that alone is not going to bring victory. That's what Phil was saying. Their business model has changed. And it can give them some key advantages as more things in the video game industry do change. And perhaps Nintendo and Sony aren't looking forward in that way. That's my read on the situation, Miles. Yeah, they're, despite a lot of the negative PR and optics from people in the core console space and the core gaming space, Bill Spencer brought up the fact that the last quarter was their biggest quarter ever for Xbox. No, what nothing going on they're t i mean they you know they well, have second high... biggest ever but yes okay yeah yeah sorry second second biggest ever uh biggest of the generation yeah um, yeah yeah so they are doing well from a business standpoint and like you said they're not really their long-term goal isn't to be the number one xbox console i bet their long-term goal is to be the number one xbox brand in terms of revenue in terms of money coming in because that's how they measure their business success and phil spencer is someone who plays video games understands that you need to deliver great games to get people to spend money but i think this messaging isn't that they don't care about the console we're going to talk more mm -hmm. about that in a sec but it's the fact that they realize that the console market is so entrenched and there was that choice quote where they said where phil said we lost the worst generation to lose ever because with the PlayStation, people started investing in those digital libraries. We all feel it. We all we all know what that's like to have an investment and to look at the idea of starting over on a new platform. That's a huge financial burden that a lot of people just don't want to deal with. When all of your stuff is there, when you're entire... That's why I was excited about the Xbox Series X and S because all of my Xbox One games, that entire library carried over for me. If you're somebody who had a PS4 and the PS5 says, yeah, we're going to carry over your games, like, okay, cool. That's an easy choice for you. And then you, they have strong marketing deals with big third-party games, with first-party games that make it a, a must-play machine. And that's PlayStation's business model. They want to be they want to be the number one console. They have built their entire business around being the number one console. The hard reality for Xbox that I think a lot of people try to downplay is that for Xbox to be the best console, if they wanted to follow in the footsteps of a, a Sony, of a Nintendo, they would have to do every single thing better 
than Xbox or than PlayStation and Nintendo for years and years and years and years consecutively on the console side. And that is such an ask because we cannot pretend like PlayStation and Nintendo are fumbling right now. We can't pretend like PlayStation and Nintendo, regardless of how you feel about their ecosystems, aren't delivering for fans. There's a reason they are selling games by the millions, selling consoles by the millions, because they are delivering experiences that can only be played there. Xbox has to look at that and say, damn, that's, ooh, that's a compelling offering. All right, what's, what's an offering that we can do short term? What's an offering we can counter short term? Because long term, yeah, maybe there is a world where they can pull market share and mind share, sure, but sure. that's not going to keep the business afloat. You can't say, yeah, in 10 years from now, we'll you know, eventually get there if we just spend billions and billions and billions. They need to have that money coming in now. So when they can go where you are, when they can go to your PC, they can go to your phone, they're bringing games to you. That doesn't, it doesn't incentivize the console as much, which if you're in the, the console war space, that's disappointing. You don't have your console number metric you can wave around on Twitter, which sorry, that's, that's a bummer, but it doesn't mean that the business isn't healthy. And that doesn't mean there isn't a strong future for the platform and games. Phil and the Xbox team just understands that PlayStation and Nintendo bring it, they bring it hot and heavy and they have passionate fans that, you know, what, what Phil say, even if Starfield's an 11 out of 10, that's not going to necessarily get people to sell their PS5. And that's true. That is a hundred percent true. Starfield can be an absolute slapper, banger, greatest game of all time. And the hope there is that PS5, homie, is going to look at Starfield and say, damn, maybe I need an Xbox. Not that PS5, homie, is only going to buy his games now forever and on the Xbox platform. Mm -hmm. that's, that's just the current state of the console market. So... We got to talk about the games port. Actually, sorry, before I move on from the console and we talk about another another quote, another quote that is really worth diving into, I do want to say it's not all doom and gloom for the Xbox console space because two very important quotes, very critical important quotes are being ignored in this conversation. And one is, console is the core of the Xbox brand. Bill Spencer says that console is the core of the Xbox brand in this interview. He also says that the console customer is the most financially committed customer. So we just talked about how this is business. It's about, it's about making money. And if your most financially invested customer is on console, you're going to cater to that. You're not going to say, well, we're out of the console market. Sorry. And then you have no financially committed customers. And then it's just on a whim whether or not they buy your games. So Xbox will continue to invest in the console. The console experience will continue to improve and they're not going to pull out of the console market, which is what I've seen people kind of run with there. Sam. Bill Spencer also said this. If you just build great games, everything would turn around. It's just not true. If we just build great games, you're going to see console shares shift in a dramatic way. Doesn't lay into the reality of the average consumer. So we talked about this a little bit, but Phil Spencer yeah. is saying that when it comes to success in the console space, specifically in the console market, when it comes to earning back market share and mind share, it's not just about building great games. How do you feel about that? Some people are riled up. Some people are saying, Phil, you are dead wrong, brother. I think it's correct. I think it's a little hyperbolic. 
I, I think it's a little bit of a hyperbolic statement because I think great games, quality games, are a very large chunk of it. It is a very large portion of the equation. But he is technically correct that it's not the only thing that matters. Yes, and I think the important part of this conversation is the hard reality, as I touched on, is for Xbox being in third, they can't just deliver great games to be in first. That's not how they would be in first. And I don't know if they have any illusions of being in first in the console market per se. Building great games is fundamental to your platform and your brand. And so Xbox understands that it needs to build great games to get people invested in its ecosystem, regardless of where they are. Getting people to sign up for Game Pass, getting people to pay $70 for a game on Steam, whatever it is, they want to keep you invested in Xbox. They want to grow their monthly active users. They want you to engage with the Xbox ecosystem. That is fundamental. And you cannot do that without games. And again, we talk about short-term versus long-term. If Xbox can consistently deliver these big games, they, they always talk about the once per quarter thing. If they can continue to do that, that will get more people to invest. And then the people who've been yeah. skeptical or haven't needed an Xbox or haven't cared to subscribe to Game Pass, they find themselves connecting with the, the platform more. You find right. people maybe changing their habits and that's going to grow Xbox's market share and then potentially set them up for more success on the console side. Because if you're more invested in a brand, chances are you're more likely to buy their hardware. They understand that. Phil Spencer says the console customer is the most financially committed. And that's why the PlayStation audience is so passionate and so diehard because people love, love PlayStation games and they're gonna buy whatever hardware PlayStation puts out because PlayStation has set this quality standard that games on here are gonna be bangers, as the kids say. And if you wanna play the bangers, you gotta buy a PS5. Xbox is a little more laid back and they're like, hey, if you wanna play cool Xbox games, you just need to either be on Game Pass or have a Windows PC. <laughs> That's like pretty much it. Like we're going to, we're going to come to you. All right. You don't have to buy an Xbox. It'd be cool if you did. It'd be pretty nice if you did. We'd, we'd appreciate it, but you don't have to. And as we look towards the long-term future, it's hard to say what's going to be the right call because I think in 10 years, the console market as we know it is going to be unrecognizable. The traditional console space, as we see disruptors with the handheld gaming sector, as we see disruptors like the Nintendo Switch, as we see subscription services, as we see cloud gaming, all of these different avenues are, are happening at the same time. And it's making the, the future of dedicated console as your only business driver a big question mark. A really big question mark and that's why playstation is doing pc releases that's why playstation is investing in games as a service titles and they're yep. investing in multimedia film and television because they want to have that diverse revenue stream so it's yep. hard to say what's going to what the future is going to be what do you think is the right call sam who's right who's wrong here hindsight is 2020 miles come on, <laughs> come on. Uh, i think i think you can look at the fact that there was a couple of different pain points that Microsoft and Sony seem to agree on. They seem to agree on multimedia. Sony obviously has a huge head start in that regard because of their connections in Sony Pictures and just the nature of other divisions working in film and TV. But Microsoft, you know, they are working on TV shows. They are working on films and stuff. Uh, the Coalition working with Netflix on a Gears of War movie and an animated show. You have that Fallout TV show that I believe just finished filming. Someone yeah. can correct me on that yeah. if I'm wrong, but that just finished filming from some, you know, a lot of money being poured into that at Prime. 
Um, I know that the Halo TV show is contentious with Halo fans, but you and I have talked about it before. I liked it for whatever it's worth. But it's getting a second season. It was very successful. Uh, and then you have PlayStation doing a ton of that stuff as well. So I think they actually have a lot more overlap than people might admit at first miles. This is kind of what I'm getting to here. There's a lot of things that they're both interested in. Like you said, Sony is finally getting around to doing PC releases. Not quite day one, but they're doing them. They're doing them, and they've. And Herman Hulse, the head of PlayStation Studios, has flat out said, "Like, look, for live service games, it's going to be day one. That that's just that that's how it's got to be. That's how it's going to be. Um, some of those will be successful. Some of them won't. I'm curious which ones are which. That's that's how the game goes. I think if you look at, it, it's impossible to cast a crystal ball and say like what exactly is going on ten years in the future." But I think the the key differentiator is that Microsoft is better set up for cloud gaming, and we'll see how far that ends up going. I have my reservations, but who knows? As Phil Spencer himself has stated, at the end of the day, like it's about getting a game in your hands that makes you happy, makes you feel something. And that's why so many people connect so strongly with video games is because there is the investment from you as the player. You are connecting with this mm -hmm. piece of media on a way that even film and television doesn't offer. And that has value and that has, that has weight. So Xbox does need to deliver great games. That is absolutely their mission strategy. But when it comes to the, the dedicated console being it, as we even see from Nintendo, Nintendo, sure, their, their main focus is their, you buy a Switch, you buy the games, but Mario movie just did a billion, $1 billion in the box office. M Nintendo is also launching a, a suite of theme parks around the world, which is just going to be this, mm, just cash cow, baby, bring it in, bring in that dough. So even these companies who we look at and say, oh, they're behind the times, they don't really get it. Like they have other revenue streams. They're going to mm -hmm. ensure that they can continue to make great games and continue to get you to buy merchandise, to go to, I'm Super Mario World is something I will be going to without question. Absolutely. I need I need to experience that. And you know uh, Illumination is going to be making Nintendo movies until the like the heat death of the universe now. Oh after yes. how successful this oh, was. Oh yeah, Nintendo's gonna be swimming in that big, big cinema money. So that's just that's the reality. Is it's it's hard to say who's right, who's wrong, because everyone is has their hands in different pools. And I think it's possible that everyone's really strong. But I think we can mm -hmm. all agree that Xbox has not done enough on the games front to, to sell right. a wider audience because the platform is there. The, the subscriptions are there. The ecosystem's there. There's a lot of components that they have gotten right. So arguably some of the, the hardest components to get right. But then the games are a question mark for some people. And so you can tell Phil's frustrated in this interview. You can tell fans are frustrated if you go online they just need that that consistent flow. And if we can have a couple back-to-back -back hits, if we can go into Starfield, into Hellblade, into Avowed, that timeline, if all of those hit, I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I don't care where you prefer to play. It's going to be hard to ignore all of those games. Yeah, like, if, if, if all three of those games, and I believe they will, and I believe they will, Miles, I'll, I'll say, well, if this, if this doesn't end up aging well, well, all right, that's a problem. But I'll I take believe the L. I'll take the L, but I, I personally believe all three of those games are going to be bangers. I do believe it. And if that's the case, like, are you going to tell me with a straight face you can't, you, you, you're not going to get a Series S to just play some games on the side? Oh, okay, I have trouble believing it, but 
All right. Yeah. And we'll this, see. there's a lot of Xbox fans on the show. I talk to a lot of Xbox fans, but the hard truth, and I, I know the Xbox leadership team knows this, they haven't done a good enough job making the Xbox platform in terms of its games unignorable. They talk mm-hmm. about big engagement with stuff like Age of Empires, Minecraft Legends, which is important, can't be understated. Sure. But they haven't had anything that's been the pop culture force that it needs to be to get every single person talking about it. They haven't had... Hi-Fi a... Rush was a good blip. That it was, was a, a good, good start. blip, absolutely. It was, yeah, there's no denying Hi-Fi Rush was a strong start to 2023, but they haven't had that Spider-Man moment. They haven't had an Elden Ring moment. They haven't had a moment that... Everyone is talking about their game in a very, very long time. Unless you count people complaining about Halo Infinite or complaining about Redfall uh, to be those moments, which everyone's talking about the games for a different reason. So there is potential. The future is bright, and I'm still excited about having an Xbox Series X. I'm not going to sell my Series X, but again, I have <laughs> PS5. I have a Switch. It's all there. Let's get to a community Q&A. I appreciate everyone tuning in, hanging out. If you've been enjoying the show, hit that like button, share it out. If you got a burning question, drop it in the chat now. I'm gonna catch up on some super chats from you amazing people who've been showing some love. Yo, Donnie says, my favorite quote was Phil saying he won't dissuade studios from trying games that aren't in their wheelhouse per se. Delicate balance all around because these attempts can take years of development that may not pay off. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we definitely touched yeah. on that. Absolutely agree. That is one of my favorite moments of the interview is Phil saying, yep. yo, I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to ch- encourage people to take risks, even if it isn't a guaranteed hit. And um, I respect that. Respect the hell out of yep. that. Nick W., a similar super chat regarding that, says we wouldn't have Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, let's go. Hi-Fi That's Rush. another one. Yeah, like, if you, Miles, if you had told me, if you had shown me Hi-Fi Rush, but stripped away all the logos and said, Sam, an Xbox with Bethesda Studio made this. Which one do you think it was? I wouldn't have guessed Tango Gameworks. No. I'll tell you that right now. Like, T- Tango, are you kidding me? The horror guys? No. But there you go. And look at that. And Tango Gameworks is now, I would say, in, in the spotlight in a way they have never been before. As much as I love The Evil Within 2. I love that game to death. But Hi-Fi Rush put them in the spotlight. Exactly. And so... That is the beauty of game development. Pentiment, we touched, you touched on that one earlier as another weird radical experiment. Yep. Grounded, another weird radical experiment from a team you wouldn't expect. Even Sea of Thieves. Yep. Nobody on earth expected Rare to make an open world pirate MMO. Like that wasn't, that wasn't in the cards. That wasn't in the timeline, but it's important that they have the chance to take risks because there are passionate people who want to take those risks. And that's why they're in game development. That's that's how you secure talent. That's how you get people excited about the future. And that's how you keep passionate creatives on board with you. If you empower their ideas and, and help them champion what they want to do. And more importantly, if you can empower those ideas and support those ideas with funding and resources, you there's there shouldn't be a world where people say, nah, I'm good. I don't I don't want to work with Xbox because they didn't they didn't deliver for me. They didn't give me what I need. That shouldn't be something any high profile talented game lead should say about working with xbox and i think if all things go well and these games start shipping in the in the way that they're supposed to uh it should be some some goodwill and some good pr for xbox game studios um but again as phil said until we get those games in our hands gotta just you know we can't take everything to heart 
All right, so this is from Gold Shell, and this is, I guess, more of a comment. And I'm, I'm curious to get your read on this. Okay. So Gold Shell says, I think it's time for more AAA developers to adopt the beta format, especially for PC. Even games on almost flawless engines from Capcom, Exoprimal, Street Fighter VI, and Blizzard, Diablo 4, and Overwatch 2 are running betas to tune performance. Even 343 Industries had a beta for Halo Infinite. Too many games are releasing on all platforms with major issues. In theory, I think a beta is a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too opportunity where you can get feedback without the Metacritic review bomb, word of mouth, or social media backlash. I want to take that comment. I want to tie it back to, let's use Redfall as the prime example. With a game like Redfall, do you think a beta period could have helped it? And do you think maybe even launching it in an early access type format would have helped it as well? Okay, so I'm going to break that in two parts. Beta, yes. Um, I think a limited beta, it could have even been closed by like invite only. Like not everyone gets in, you know, you have to submit and they select one in 10, something, something like that. I don't know. There are smarter people than me that can figure that out. That should have happened a few months ago. Ab absolutely. Um, maybe even like last fall. When the game was originally supposed to come out, I will uh, remind <laughs> you. Uh, like, the, the, you know, they could have done something like that. And like, would it, again, would this, it wouldn't make things perfect, but maybe, you know, you can test and test and test and you can test and test and test. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get every single problem. You're not going to identify every single problem until it's in people's hands. That's how things work. I know Halo Infinite had a tail content issue. I stand by loving that game when it came out. Oh, it I felt, stand it by felt the, so good. I stand Ooh. by the quality of that campaign. I stand by the polish that the multiplayer mode had at launch. Okay, I, I stand by all that. And the flighting that 343 Industries did, that had a lot to do with it. That had a lot to do with ironing out those kinks. So it wouldn't have taken care of every issue, but I do think that is a good idea. Um, obviously, it's it's a little bit different when it's just a single-player game. That's a, that's a little bit of a different conversation for multiple reasons but any kind of multiplayer game any kind of online functionality like yes you you need to have a beta even if it's closed i agree uh, I as for you then you, you brought up like early access launching into preview as well i don't love that concept for high-end games i think it works for something like when you're a first party developer i think it works for something like grounded when it's explicitly hey this is a tiny team doing something very experimental like i think that's okay i think it works in that very specific situation but not at a game you're intending to sell for 70 dollars. not a triple a experience i don't like that and i think i don't think you should do that i think it's an important to have that balance i agree grounded and survival games in general they kind of ebb and flow with what the players want. You have a sandbox, you have an experience, and you cater to what the hardcore and the survival community, for the most part, is very engaged with that. And they have strong ideas of what they like, what they don't like. And that allows you to, you know, iterate quickly. And a small, nimble team like Grounded could look at fan feedback and say, all right, people want this, people like this, let's focus on that. And they can quickly make changes because it's a smaller team, smaller scope project. When you have a huge, big budget game that's been in development for four or five years with 100 people and it's a AAA $70 game, it's it's a harder ask to come out the door and say, hey, eventually this is going to be good. Like, we need your $70 now. And then we mm -hmm. promise, we promise we'll make it good. And like, the reality is those, sometimes those promises aren't fulfilled. And so I, I agree. I don't want every single game to be in an early access state. But I think earlier betas for Redfall 
maybe could have helped shift yep. the focus and priority for the development earlier on. Maybe if they had a beta last, you know, when it was supposed to launch last summer, players could have said, hey, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. And then they could have used that feedback earlier on to help shape the experience into something more enjoyable. But again, these types of games have focus groups and test groups and all of these people behind the scenes to kind of vet and make sure it is a good experience. So I don't know. There's no guarantee that any game coming out the door is going to be a hit. And there's a lot of work that goes into getting a game out the door in general. But I agree. Betas can go a long way in, in tightening things up. Yep. All right. Sam, we did it. We ran through the gauntlet. We covered all of the biggest, juiciest Xbox news, quotes, and stories of the week. One more time, I gotta appreciate I gotta give you a shout out for hanging out, keeping your, your streak going as the number one Xbox Chatterdays guest, the greatest track record in history. Appreciate you, man. Uh, for the people joining us, hanging out, one more time, let them know where they can get a hold of you. Yeah, so as long as it remains a thing, you can find me on Twitter at Samuel Talbert, just my name. It's real simple like that. And you can find all the work I'm doing over on Windows Central and on Inverse. And I mean, Miles, thank you. I, I'll, I'll never ask to come on, but I always appreciate when you ask me, I, even if it's in the middle of the night. I'm trying to get a good night's sleep for once. There's no <laughs> sleep on my watch. All right, Sam? Yeah. No, but all I appreciate right. you, man. We always have great conversations. Always love having you on. I Huge shout out to all the people who are hanging out, joining in yeah, the conversation yeah. live, showing support via Super Chats, channel memberships. Again, that stuff means a lot to what I'm doing now that I'm just a you know ind little independent creator. Yeah, I am working for IGN as well. But you know, when it comes to my my side hustle, my my, my little my little channel yeah, over yeah. here, all of your comments, your likes, shares, subscriptions, all of that great stuff, it does mean a lot. It goes a long way, and and keeping me you know keeping that hope burning, keeping that that spark alive. So appreciate all of you. Um, once again, if you haven't already joined the discord, there's a link in the description for the video version and the audio version. If you dug the show, let me know, uh, leave a review for the audio versions. What else do I got to plug? Oh, buy that merch boy. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah. Check out that merch if you haven't. And with all of that said, have an amazing weekend, have an amazing week and I'll catch you next Saturday. Take care, everybody. Take, take care.